Alrighty, hello everybody out there. Welcome back. Apologize for neglecting my hosting duties for the past, I don't know, what has it been, a week or two? Um, some of you may or may not be aware that the Colin app has been acquired by Rumble and I'm frankly unclear on the ramifications of that for uh, my Colin tenure. Uh, I guess just as a little background info, I was solicited by Colin when the app launched to develop a presence uh, on the app. And they now have revamped that whole situation with the acquisition by uh, by Rumble. And uh, it's a bit ambiguous as to what that portends. Going forward, I uh, hope to maintain a presence on here uh, in some fashion. I don't see why not. I mean, the premise of the app is great. Um, it's, I think, fosters sort of an intimacy that is not really replicable as far as I can tell uh, elsewhere. Um, obviously, the sort of premise is replicated to some degree on apps like Twitter Spaces, which uh, I uh, have participated in here and there when I get invited. Um, obviously, Twitter Spaces has a much bigger reach. I'm sort of curious what people think as to how Colin might be incorporated into Twitter Spaces or not. I'm not sure exactly. I know that uh, the proprietor or one of them of, of Colin, uh, David Sachs, is also one of Elon Musk's advisors uh, at, at Twitter. So it, it seems like there should be some happy medium to be established between sort of the useful features of Colin and the more widespread amplification afforded by Twitter spaces, but I'm not exactly sure how that will be facilitated, if at all. Um, but regardless, here I am, and uh, I have enjoyed uh, Colin to the extent that I have been able to use it for the past um, about a year and a half. And just to be clear, I'm not announcing some sort of formal departure or anything like that. Uh, I'm just noting the ambigu ambiguity of the current status of Colin um, in terms of how it is interfacing with the people it had propositioned to become producers of, quote, content on the app. Uh, now, that said, I did want to reflect or reminis uh, reminisce about one of the more epic call-in sessions I've ever had, which was, uh, I believe, in February of this year, where I ended up on the app for like a manic five-hour session that stretched literally into the m morning. It was, <laughs> I think I saw, started it at, a, I had just gotten to Germany. And so I launched the call-in session at, I don't know, like 2 or 3 a.m. local time because 
I wanted to match up with when Richard Hanania and I typically did it in, uh, in American time. And the subject that most people want to discuss was this rage, rage against the machine, quote unquote, anti-war rally that was being held in Washington, D.C. to coincide with the anniversary of the launch of the invasion of Ukraine. And not to relitigate the entire thing, I mean, people can actually go in the archive here in this app or on my show, gathering of quote unquote experts, <laughs> if they're interested in, in listening to it that session or, or portions of it. But one of the main points that I had been trying to make, which seems to me glaringly obvious, but there were legions of people bending over backwards to, to die or obfuscate, which is that the rally slash the organizers of the rally had for some strange reason, still not yet adequately explained as far as I can tell, had decided to elevate as spokespeople for their purportedly righteous cause, active, avowed supporters and partisans of the Russian state, and by extension, active, avowed supporters of the Russian state's ongoing military efforts in Ukraine. Now, as I tried to make abundantly clear over and over again when I was discussing this at the time, if you're of the view that Russia is currently engaged in a just war, so it launched a preemptive war in February 2022, and you regard it as just and righteous, then you can go ahead, invoke Thomas Aquinas or whatever you'd like in making a just war argument in favor of Russia's current efforts. That's a potentially coherent line of argumentation you might adopt. But it's just not in any cognizable sense an anti-war argument. It's a pro-war argument. You're fashioning an argument explicitly to justify what you believe as the righteousness of a certain war, okay? But because it's seen as untoward or a bit, you know, gosh, to make an actively pro-war argument, what pro-war advocates tend to like to do, whether they're pro-Ukraine, pro-Russia, pro-US, whatever, is they like to frame what they're arguing for as somehow an anti-war argument, even if it's even if it's the diametric opposite. Because who wants to be the you know the troglodyte or the knuckle dragger making an actively pro-war argument? That's not really befitting of somebody of upstanding moral character, right? So they twist and turn and wiggle themselves into this claim that they're actually making a anti-war argument and arguing for the pro-war cause that they're in favor of, which is absurd. It leads to all kinds of inane, logical conundrums and quandaries and inconsistencies and contradictions. And I have to say that maybe just at a visceral level, or maybe this is a personal flaw of mine, but when I'm inundated with an overload of logical inconsistencies and quandaries and contradictions, I don't know, I guess I bristle. And that was what was going on with this supposedly nominally anti-war rally. And sure enough, one of the you know big featured speakers that was supposed to be an emblematic of this cause was this person who goes by the name Tara Reed. Now, the person I'm referring to here has changed her name various times over the years. And I first looked into this very extensively in 2020. Go look up. 
you know, search Michael Tracy Spectator Tara Reed if you're interested. I did a big magazine article on this, okay, for the Spectator magazine, I believe May of 2020, where you know, I did a, you know, I, I spoke to a lot of people, I did a bunch of original reporting reporting on the claims that this person had come out with that she was raped by Joe Biden, okay? Now, that's a fairly jarring claim. Did it have ample factual substantiation behind it? Did it line up factually with her references to this alleged incident throughout the years? Did she have credibility as somebody who was just truthfully relaying the incident in question? Many, many... Points of interest to that effect uh, is what I looked into, and I, I, I didn't say this at the time because I wanted to kind of remain within the confines of what I could factually establish. But as the years went by, and more and more evidence piled up that incontrovertibly showed the ridiculousness of this person's tall tale and scam artistry, all I can really say is that this is one of the most remarkable scammers I've ever seen foist herself upon American public life. I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing what you can get away with if you tell certain people on the Internet what they want to hear in terms of their partisan political interests because they'll totally discard any semblance of evidentiary standards any kind of normal logical logical consistency that they would apply to virtually any other issue, and they'll just, you know, fall in line between whatever gets, you know, the blood flowing, I guess, so you can, you know, I don't know, criticize Joe Biden for, like, the one thing that he ought, it's, like, not justified to criticize him for, which, like, why would you bother? It's this trend where everybody who you have, every male politician who you don't like politically, has to therefore, if so facto, be a sexual predator. I mean, that's basically now the norm. The same with Donald Trump. I mean, Trump was found guilty or uh, responsible in this civil lawsuit with this former gossip columnist slash advice columnist a few weeks ago. And... Nobody even looked into the details of this case because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get diverted into this tangent, but if you look at how the verdict sheet was constructed, meaning the verdict sheet that the jurors had to use in order to uh, come to a finding as to whether E. Jean Carroll was vindicated in her claims against Trump, the chief claim that she had been making for years, which was in her book that she timed to coincide with Trump's re-election, and then she filed a lawsuit once New York State amended its statutes regarding statute of limitations for sexual assault claims. She was found to have not established, even by a preponderance of the evidence standard, so 51% in a civil context, she was found to, to have no, not established that Donald Trump had actually raped 
her when she claims that this occurred. And yet, the jury's finding was framed in popular media as evidence of Trump raping her. Or it was portrayed as this bombshell finding that Trump had, after all this time, no longer been able to get away with his long history of sexual predation. And the jury kind of gave him what was coming to him. It was the opposite finding. I mean, it was just amazing. It's, and it's amazing how easily manipulable this stuff is. And the Tara Reid situation was another manifestation of it, but it flattered the pre-existing biases of a different demographic. And I'm sorry to say, whatever demographic is flattered by this nonsense, I tend to not want to just credulously affirm. And so Tara Reid, as could have been very easily anticipated given her history of fraud and scamming, marshaled the platform that she had developed through the fake allegations she made against Biden into a quasi-political commentator or pundit where... All of a sudden, because she launched this fake allegation that had been credulously promoted by people who ought to have known better in 2020, who were trying to use it as a last-ditch effort to take down Joe Biden, the Democratic primary race, if you'll notice, they haven't really followed up on the allegation that they credulously promoted back then to you know, figure out if they can establish that, gee, I don't know. Is the president actually a rapist? They gave up on that, even though they claimed to have been so interested in that story for a time when it was politically expedient. But now Tara Reid, she hardly doesn't even mention it that much anymore, and she became this quasi-political pundit, which is just like one of the most brazen. (laughs) I mean, if anything, she should have stayed in America, because I'm getting to the point here ultimately which is that she just announced that she's defecting to Russia today with a, this like ridiculous press conference in Russia with Russian state media where she's now, you know, she's appealing to Putin for citizenship in Russia, okay? And when I was first looking into this story, I didn't focus on her weird blog post where she's sexually fantasizing about Putin with his shirt off and so forth. It wasn't directly relevant to my reporting on the merits or lack thereof of her factual claims, okay? But it was always there in the background, you know. But was I going to put that front and center? No, because who knows? It doesn't mean anything necessarily. But I was going to say that although she's now apparently defecting to Russia, supposedly on the grounds of her, quote, safety, which is part of this, like, victimhood thing that she uses to garner a public platform, and has for decades. She's claiming that like she's somehow not safe in the United States. Well, okay, do you have is there any evidence that she's that you're not safe in the United States? I'd like to see it. She doesn't present any. She just you know continues weaving this web of salacious claims, and interested audiences gobble it right up. And one of the interested audiences happens to be the Russian state propaganda apparatus. Now look, I'm the last person to go around exaggerating 
the influence of the Russian state propaganda apparatus, okay? I spent years, literally years, pushing back against exaggerated histrionics regarding the supposedly world-altering influence of the Russian state propaganda apparatus, particularly on United States political affairs, and how that gets manipulated and leveraged to advance certain political interests domestically. So again, I'm the last person to exaggerate the influence of this apparatus. But I also am not going to somehow therefore pretend it doesn't exist, or like there's no such thing as Russian state media, because I mean there is, with the irony being that it's incredibly feckless and ineffectual given that they've had to resort to elevating somebody as self-evidently absurd as this person who goes by the moniker Tara Reid, which, by the way, is not her legal name. And, oh, by the way, it also just so happens that this anti-war rally that I was being beseeched to endorse or to you know, set aside any qualms I might have about its efficacy or its, you know, ambitions. They're the ones who put Tara Reid in these beautifully, you know, constructed promotional materials. They're the ones who put her front and center as an emblem of the cause. And my point at the time was, and people will remember this if they're in the room, and they listened to it at the time or saw what I had, you know, tweeted or whatever, why would you elevate the handful of people with any political or media stature in the U.S. who actually are avowed partisans of the Russian war effort? Why would you elevate them as the faces of this anti-war movement, quote-unquote, when the critique of anybody who makes similar arguments or related arguments about U.S. foreign policy is automatically accused speciously and scurrilously of just being a stooge of the Russian state. Why would you then elevate the handful of people who actually are avowed partisans of the Russian state? Because you want to vindicate the criticism? I mean, it's hard to understand the rationale for why the organizers of this rally and the defenders of it could have rationalized this strategic choice. If you had asked me to come come up with a plan to discredit whatever anti-war cause does exist in the U.S., I I couldn't have given you a better plan than what actually the so-called anti-war movement ended up doing. And now... You know, and, and I got pilloried by all these people who were, you know, were trying to argue against my position on this by saying, you know, I was a DNC stooge, I was a CIA stooge, I was a pawn of the military-industrial um, complex, was compromised in some fashion, who knows exactly by what method. Um, I, I don't know, I was, you know, I was just trying to, you know, I was a careerist who just wanted to, like, I don't know, get on CNN whole bevy of uh, imputations of motive, you know, of course, were heaped on me as though, like, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm after in life, to get on Wolf Blitzer. I mean, please. 
strangely, the invitations didn't follow. So I haven't been on Wolf, Wolf Blitzer since February, and maybe it just happened to be the case that I was trying to truthfully assess a situation, and it wasn't just like a self-interested, cynical ploy on my part. I don't know. Um, so one of the people that I was told I needed to, you know, praise as this virtuous anti-war advocate, what does she do today? Well, she goes to Russia and she has a press conference with the Russian state media apparatus announcing that she's in danger. She's Tara Reid, quote unquote, has been in danger for decades. I mean, she's been in danger for her entire adult life, apparently. Whether it was the ex-husband. I mean, I don't even want to get into the personal stuff because it's too... I mean, it almost makes you look bad by just by association if you discuss it at any length. But <laughs> she does exactly what you... I mean, if she was a plant... I don't think she's a CIA plant because I don't think the CIA is really up to speed in terms of how it could most effectively discredit the anti-war movement, even if it wanted to, because the anti-war movement doesn't even exist. But if there was like a cell within the CIA that wanted to do that, Tara Reid, I mean, you couldn't ask for a more effective discreditor of the cause. And it, the, the, it was icing on the cake today where, you know, I wake up from an inopportune nap that I was taking this afternoon, and I'm, I have texts coming in saying, well, uh, well, it looks like you were right. Tara Reid just affected to Russia. Like, wait, wait, what? I had to, like, get my bearings and have a cup of coffee and say, okay, well, I mean, are you surprised? Do you even care? I mean, do you want to advance the things that you're claiming to want to advance? Or... Is it all about just kind of like, I don't know, uh, online? If the people who, the point is, and I'm almost like tripping over my words now because it's just so mind bending. If the people who claimed that this rally and any related activism that they might engage in was actually geared toward de-escalating U.S. military involvement in Ukraine, de-escalating the war itself. Uh, reducing the prospect of nuclear annihilation, etc., all aspirations, of course, that I would tend to be in affinity with, if that's what they were purporting to want to do, then didn't this achieve the exact opposite? You're elevating the most discreditable, discreditable possible figures as the faces of this purported cause, and yet I'm the one attacked for pointing that out. I don't know. It's one of these ironies which you're not going to get a whole lot of honest discussion of, frankly, because a lot of people on the internet media scene are fully in hock to audience capture, which is a phenomenon where it becomes sort of cognitively ingrained in people who produce content to not want to contradict the biases of the people in their audience because that's an algorithmic disadvantage. You lose subscribers or patrons or 
followers or whatever. And so even if they think that they're independently minded, it wouldn't fall prey to the temptations of kind of kowtowing to their audience. If they end up doing it. So I don't know. I get accused of being a contrarian as though it's a, this is a contrarian position to note that like <laughs> one of the <laughs> representatives of the nominal anti-war cause is an avowed partisan of the Russian state and an avowed fetishist of Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse, and then now has gone to Russia seeking fake refuge from the Russian state as though, like, she's this bold political dissident. And that was the person elevated as a speaker. Of the, go look. She, was, she spoke at the rally. I mean, I was disappointed in people who I like, and appreciate and still like who gave their imprimatur to such a farcical event. And it wasn't just Tara Reid who was the issue. Um, and, you know, if the end result is that people are personally aggravated with me, okay, I'm not doing this to maintain like personal friendships with people who, you know, even if I might establish some incidentally, that's not my driving purpose here. I mean, that allowing that to supersede all else in your political, journalistic dealings, it's just a recipe for self-inflicted disaster. And so I'm going to do what I can to avoid that. <coughs> and... I'm not going to go prance around claiming vindication because that's pompous. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, what more do you need to prove the point that I was trying to establish at the time? I, I don't get it. I mean, what did that rally do? What did it accomplish? Where's the organized anti-war movement now? Is it – has it branched out around the nation into – organizational hubs like can i go over the river to manhattan and visit the rage against the anti-war rage against the war machine organizational sort of uh, chapter and f figure out what the next me uh, meeting is or it, it, it was a, it was a one-off social media event populated largely by social media fabulists as well as a, a couple of people who I actually do think still ha have credibility and still do, but made an error in associating themselves with such an asinine event. Um, and it really does not speak well of their discernment, I have to say. It doesn't mean they're discredited for life. But, uh, you know, I do think that the political discernment of politicians and journalists and others who might participate in something like this is uh, warranting a scrutiny. And uh, I don't know. Do, do you see any change in the political trajectory here? I sure don't. It seems like the escalation continues apace, almost to the point where it feels like I'm repetitive and tedious every time I discuss it, because it's always the same pattern. If anything, the self-inflicted 
tarnishment of the so-called anti-war rally or movement, I don't know, it did, it did nothing but accelerate the process because it showed how feckless and ineffectual and clownish the supposed opposition actually is. So why, why would the opposition have any leverage to change that policy trajectory if they're such discredited clowns? I mean, come on. <laughs> this is simple. Um, and uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not happy about it, but I'm not happy about a lot of stuff <laughs> in life, and yet I'm just going to try to be as uh, accurate and truthful I can as I can about it. So, uh, well, if anybody out there is uh, interested in telling me where I'm wrong, come on up because. I'm sure there might be somewhere where I've uh, erred. Hello, BK. Hi there. Uh, hey. Yeah, I was, back when I was brave enough to go to anti-war protests, um, I, I mean, there were, especially the anti-war, the anti-Iraq war protests in LA in 2003, there were so many people there. I mean, and so many people that spoke, so many people who had really insane, shady pasts in L.A. who have worked with pedophiles, probably, right? It's L.A. I just, I don't, I, I didn't, I, I'm not going to walk around an anti-war protest and be like, excuse me, are you, are you against all wars? If you're not against all wars ever, I don't want to be at this protest. Well, hold on, BK, let me interrupt you. Were any of the people at the L.A. anti-war rally, were they in favor of the Iraq war? Because that's what was going on with this anti, supposedly anti-Ukraine war rally. It was people who were in favor of the war who were elevated as representatives of the cause. So if you were in L.A. and they had like Paul Wolfowitz speaking in favor of the invasion of Iraq, <laughs> then it would be analogous. Otherwise, like I'm not saying that, that you got to go around and scrutinize the personal histories of everybody who participates in the anti-war rally. That's not the point. The point is that they were antithetical to the supposed cause that they were there to promote. Okay, this actually, I mean, I'm anti all wars. I'm I'm a pacifist, but I actually I don't think that's shared with most of the left or the anti war left ever. You know, I don't know that the that the left ever coalesced around that. But I mean, that aside, we you and I both know that. This whole you can be against U.S. intervention in what's going on over there, and just also have an opinion that maybe Russia had a right to defend itself. Which so you're in, so you're in favor of a, you're in favor of a belligerent party's war effort vis-a-vis -vis the conflict that you're saying you're advocating an anti-war position in relation to. I'm sorry, it doesn't comport. Yes, it does. If, no, it Denver, doesn't. If you're going to promote it as an anti-war <laughs> rally and you're promoting the war effort of a belligerent foreign state, that's not an anti-war effort. It's not an anti-war rally. It's something else. Call yeah, it what you, you call it whatever so you like, but it's not anti-war. The point is, they, they it's on U.S. soil. Like we all know what it. Like we're all like adults here. Like we know what we mean. Uh, no, it. apparently <laughs> not. Mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, some of us are a little more autistic than others. Yes. Um, but like, and like the, I, I want to ask what, okay, 
the I know you don't want to go down the tunnel with the Tara Reed thing, but the wasn't there um, a call? <sighs> okay, CNN? yes, there was. Like, want, let me address the call to CNN because people bring that up. They're saying, "Oh, Larry King got a phone call from her mother in 1991." Therefore, the the the, the story was totally legit. <sighs> okay, it's not. This is more legit. Than I'll address the, it. Than the Trump well, no. And the what allegation? That the mainstream media, uh, the uh, the one you referred to earlier. I forget her name. The the woman from New York um, that won the settlement. Or not? Oh, Eugene Carroll. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. But if that's your bar, <laughs> it's not a very high bar to clear. Um, and also, I think it's less legitimate, frankly. And I have I take no I pleasure in saying that. Um, I mean, I think that Tara Reid is less legitimate than Eugene Carroll, even though I think uh. Eugene Carroll is also confabulated. <laughs> um, Ryan Grimm, anybody know, does that name ring a bell? He's the one who yeah. supposedly broke this big bombshell story of Tara Reid's mother calling into Larry King. And if you'll notice, he hasn't followed up on that since May of 2020. Like, where's this big blockbuster story that Ryan Grimm exclusively had? That the president is a rapist. Like, don't you think he would, like, be very diligent in following up on that? And yet he just forgot it ever happened. Odd. Um... This is in the Spectator article that I did very lengthy and detailed. Google, if you're curious, go and listen to what is actually said in the Larry King phone call, okay? Okay, I just thought of an article. Hold on, 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 uh, not that her daughter was sexually assaulted by the senator, but she had workplace problems. And the Larry King show happened to be a segment on workplace issues in Congress. And this was a few days, coincidentally, after Tara Reid, under her former name, was terminated from Biden's office, where she worked as a mail uh, room clerk. Okay. It doesn't say anything about Tara Reid having been sexually assaulted or even harassed. And if anything, the mother says she doesn't even want to be specific about the senator because she doesn't want to impugn the senator because nothing happened that the senator actually did. So, yeah, Tara Reid got fired from Joe Biden's office because she couldn't sort the mail in 1991 and suddenly somehow that got parlayed into a decades long like a uh, tall tale about how she was how she got raped in broad daylight in the senate corridor in the middle of a work day by joe biden for the first and only time apparently in biden's entire career or life and that's the big evidence people think shows that it was correct though there's nothing corroborating about it people Found fake, and, and also, by the way, part of the reporting that I did was that Tara Reid at the time, because until March of 2020, Tara Reid, if you actually look at what she said about the incident, went out of her way to clarify that Biden didn't do anything to her. She, she, wanted, she went out of her way to disclaim that she was accusing Biden of sexual assault, and then it, came, then it was claimed that, oh, well, trauma victims, they suppress that information and they come out with it. Tara Reid was supposedly an authority, one of the, like a national authority on sexual assault. Okay, she was brought to testify in court and throw people in prison 
for sexual assault related offenses. By the way, she fabricated her credentials. So Monterey County, California had to oh my God. <laughs> uh, modify the sentences of people that Carrie got thrown to prison. Um, uh, and <laughs> but Carrie somehow she 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 all of a sudden remembered this thing that she said had never happened until May of 2020 when all these like Bernie media people started to surround her and use her as a last ditch effort to prevent Biden from getting the nomination. That's what happened. So sorry, I'm yelling to the phone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well, let me let me just ask you this last quick thing, and then I'll. Uh, hang up because I want to hear from Jenny. But uh, uh, wouldn't you agree that, especially at this point in 2023, the but for cause of con the continued war in Ukraine is U.S. involvement? Like if if we weren't funding yes. Ukraine, the war would have been over a year ago. So you can still be just against the U.S. being involved and still think of yourself as anti-war. And that's yeah, you can think, I mean, you can, you, can, you can think of yourself as a man, the man on the moon, too. I, I mean, no, you can't think of yourself as anti-war if your desired end result is for the successful military conquest by Russia of Ukraine. That is not an anti-war aspiration. It, it feels like it's just because Michael says so. Like, that's that's the, the it's not. It's because Michael... So if, if somebody says, I desire the military conquest by Russia of Ukraine, it's just because Michael says so that that's not an anti-war aspiration? It seems like it because it's Mr... Not Michael says so, Mr. Logic says so. <laughs> but if you're... As an American, like... Like I'm not going to go protest. As an American, every... I can I can I can and do almost right. daily until on the except on the rare occasions when I get diverted into this crap, I always do critique U.S. foreign policy 99% of the time. Then the 1% of the time where I'm being beckoned to support Russia's military conquest of Ukraine, I say, wait, hold on a second. That's not anti-war. That's defending <laughs> actively a belligerent country's war. I watched, I watched your debate with Destiny. About like well yeah exactly. What do you mean exactly? Like I was I'm as a so that that was, that was me taking a position that gets me accused of being pro Russia. Right. I, I mean I honestly it's I, I feel like you're being way too sensitive to that to that critique when you could have made so many more arguments during that art during like that I would have made during that debate with Destiny. Like, what if Russia built up weapons, including, you know, bioweapons at our border and started funding neo-Nazis over the border of Mexico and Canada? Wouldn't you feel a little bit... So, that, what, what? so then I would support the U.S. invading Mexico? Well, you might not call it an invasion. You might just call it a police... Oh, you would just call it the gentle place... You would just call it the gentle <laughs> placement of troops in Mexico. We didn't call it an invasion of Iraq. I'm a pacifist. I wouldn't we, be wouldn't. Any of this. Wait, you didn't call it the invasion of Iraq? Oh, wait. <laughs> we didn't call it a war, right? We just called it a... What? Yes, we did. What do you think? What if... I was... I remember. Of course we did. Who's we? we? First of all, who is we? First of all, who is we? Second I'm an all, American. Of okay, back to the thing. Okay, please don't... We didn't call it the war in Iraq. Yes, I'm we, not going to... 
as an okay. anti-war. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go. If people are hallucinating where they don't think the Iraq War was a war, and that's how much, and, and right. they're talking I'm about not, the theoretical get, invasion of Mexico. You win. You won that. You're you're so smart, and you win. The bigger Thank you. Of- I agree. <laughs> you're smart too. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not going to protest every war that happens in the world, I'm going to protest a war that my government, as a, that it, a, a, when I'm a citizen and am in the country, you know, that's the war I'm going to protest. It's some random... Great! Country, but how does right? that oblige so, you to support so, a belligerent country's war effort? But, but like, Michael, it doesn't, one doesn't lead come to another. Off, like, did you protest every war ever? Are you really anti-war? Like, that's how you sound. But that's not that. That's not the point. I'm just okay. like, stop being I'm, not, I'm not going back to the war of 1812. <laughs> I'm talking about the war under discussion at the moment. All right. Like, it's just, it's weird nitpicky. Like, uh, I don't think so. I mean, if it's weird nitpicky, where's the amazing anti-war movement that was birthed by this rally? Did I miss it? Like or not just nitpickers who are activism who is important whether it's successful or not. That's the most. How about like, if it's counterproductive? How about ever. if it's counterproductive? It so like, how about if it's counterproductive? Doing the right thing, you should do the right thing for the right. Okay, like, well, not, I'm not, not sure that the con- uh, the conquest of Zaporizhia is not like the right thing for me that I've always dreamt about helping to enable. Um, all right, thanks, PK. Hey, Jenny. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding. <sighs> Go ahead. Sorry. Thanks for taking my call. I got to say that BK was driving through Colorado and he contacted me and said, hey, can I stop by and meet you in real life? And I was like, sure. So I had him over for dinner the other night with my oh, husband. That's cool. and we had the most lovely chat. It was so fun. First friend I met in real life from Colin. Oh, really? Well, that's nice to hear. BK, if you're still out there, I support you meeting Jenny. Yeah. When you're driving through Colorado and having dinner, that's a heartwarming anecdote. Yes, very, very heartwarming. Anyway, I last night woke up in a sweat nightmare and had this prompting that I needed to pray hard that there was some stuff going down war wise. And this has happened to me many times over the years where I just woke up and just start praying and wake up this morning, find out about the drone attacks and it looks like there weren't that many people hurt even or killed. I don't know. But it was ominous, you know, just seeing the footage. And I thought, if nothing else, I bet this really made the Russians PO'd. Well, gee, gee, you, know, you think? <laughs> I mean, drones coming in and hitting close to the palace. I don't know. I, I would be, I don't know about you, but I would be PO'd if, like, my apartment building got drone struck, even if I wasn't killed in the strike. Well, and it... it it fit with my dream in the sense of like escalation. There's an escalation happening right at this moment. You need to pray. And like I said, I've had this many times over the years and I don't know how many other prayer warriors are out there right now on call in or around the world who feel these same sort of promptings. But I felt it really strong last night. Like, like this could be really, really bad. And so I kind of watched it closely throughout the day and I actually heard the show you were on on Twitter I don't know who that host was, but man, he was having a hard time controlling the room. Today was this today? Yeah, your comments, Michael. Oh, that's just—I mean, those uh, those guys who those guys—I don't even know who they are, really. I mean, they're like these venture capital venture capital people who joined Twitter when Elon Musk bought it and just host Twitter spaces sessions, and they they invite me to be on these shows. I don't go out of my way to be on them. I just you know accept their invitation every now and then. 
let's just say their repartee was bananas. I mean, they were all over the map arguing this and that. You were the one who was making some sense. And I was like, go, Michael, go. You know, well, I just came in on the tail know. end. And they, I mean, yeah, I, did. Uh, I, did. I slept through the beginning. <laughs> but yeah. What are you going to do? Well, we, all, we have all these opinions, you know, and everybody's yelling at each other. And at the end of the day, we really just have to step back and say, what can we do to help? And I just think we all have to be honest about how it started, how it's going, how the Biden administration has absolutely fanned the flames all along. They're gunning for a war. They're fighting for it. And it's totally appropriate to call them out on that. And it just feels like that's the most extreme position. If that's your position, you're the bad guy because that's the most. It's like, no, it's not. Let's be in an honest place here, at least. Well, I mean, I agree. And that's the mentality that I take toward pretty much everything, however ancillarily associated it is with this issue or any issue. I mean, all I can really do, I'm not an activist per se in that I don't have a mass movement behind me. I'm not politically maneuvering. I don't have state power to wield. Like all, all, all I can really do is try to be as truthful and accurate as I can about what I'm observing and reporting on or what have you. Um, so I took that approach with this, with the fake anti-war rally. I take it with the Biden administration being engaged in systematic deceit as to Ukraine policy. I'm taking it now with, you know, DeSantis and Trump. I mean, I, I'm trying to do it with everything. And people think that it means that I have to have some corrupt motive. If this comes across as defensive, so be it. Now, but Michael, all, all Michael, I'm trying to say is this is like my honest view. Yeah, when everybody hates you left and right, and I think you're probably the one who's the most hated from both the right and the left of all the journalists I can see. Uh, that means you're you're doing your job. You know, this is what you're supposed well, to do. I mean, sometimes people will say that where and it <laughs> their basic point is that if you're enough of an asshole and everybody hates you, that somehow means you're necessarily correct. I don't know that that necessarily means I'm correct about anything, but hopefully it does indicate that I'm not really interested in catering to anyone. No, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm it doesn't mean that I'm right on the merits in every instance. But like, if there's a, if there's a faction of online you know supporters that you never agree at all, then I don't know. Are you kowtowing, even if it's subconscious? I think that does often tend to be the case. Well, history is going to be very kind to your position. That's what I think. And I've been watching all these people run from Twitter now that Elon's in charge, and they've all moved over to Substack, and they've started their Substacks, and they're all virtue signaling to each other how they're above the, the hoi polloi that have showed up on Twitter. And, you know, I don't know who they think is going to read their 10,000-word essays and newsletters that are so boring, I want to like gouge my eyes out. But I would much rather listen to somebody like you, who I think is just calling it straight. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I want from a journalist. I want somebody who's just going to call it like they see it and be humble enough to say, hey, if I get something wrong, I'll admit it. Yeah, I've always, I've always tried to do, to do that. that. You know, I've, even, even yeah. when the invasion of Ukraine started and people were telling me I was wrong, because the claim was that I predicted that it wouldn't happen, even though I never did that. Richard Hanani actually did make that prediction. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where but, the heck is Richard? He started some some show over on Substack. I listened to it did a he? little bit. It's called Clown Tower or something. 
it wasn't very good. I didn't think, but okay, no. I'm not even sure what he's. I mean, Rich, Richard is Richard. That's basically what I can say. Um. He's just doing a podcast with some woman, so I wondered if he was. Who's the woman? Uh, I don't even I don't know. Call. I didn't. I'd never heard of her, and I didn't recall her name. His wife. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. He said she was a conservative journalist, so I don't think so. All right. Uh, I'll I'll look into what he's even up to. I'm, I don't know, despite having done, I don't know, dozens of episodes on here with him. All right, Jenny, um, point taken. Thanks, again, as, as always. And let's go uh, to Andrew. Keep who being I, you, Michael. Keep appreciate being it. You. you too. And now uh, Andrew's going to take me to the woodshed. All right, have at it, Andrew. I'm, I'm ready. I'm here to aggrieve you like you would like to aggrieve your audience. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, we could agree. That- I'm lying prostrate on the floor right now. Okay, good. I hope you're well sweated and lubricated and everything's ready. Um, the, I think we can both agree that neither Biden nor DeSantis have agreed to an immediate ceasefire. That's a fair statement, right? They've never put, I mean, for one, Biden has obviously rejected the entire concept of the ceasefire. We could just say the establishment as a whole has rejected it. Well, I mean, the, the, DeSantis, people, DeSantis hasn't said anything really well, about the ceasefire, but he's not, wouldn't seem to be pro ceasefire. He hasn't said anything. I, I, I think their positions are essentially indistinguishable. And, by, yeah. and by, Biden actually has, if you look at, I mean, people don't even bother looking at what he said because they don't think that he's mentally competent or whatever. But he has said, and so have members of the Biden administration, that they, in theory, want some sort of diplomatic settlement. Biden right. even said on the anniversary of the war in February that the whole idea is that uh, uh, Ukraine ought to be given enough of a military advantage that they'll be given leverage at the, quote, negotiating table. Yeah, can I and that's essentially that's essentially the same as what uh, DeSantis yeah. has said. I, I, I although they use to... different emphases to kind of make partisan gestures and give partisan like signifiers that distract from the underlying position, substantively. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that. I just want to draw a distinction between a settlement, <clears throat> excuse me, a settlement and a ceasefire, because we've had ceasefires with Minsk. I'm sure you're familiar. And that's not a settlement, right? In a sense that, it, you know, well, a ceasefire is a type of uh, settlement. Would, it's it's a. I would say it's you know it it depends on the conflict, right? And that's that's part of the I guess you'd say like cosmic drift of this. Is this going to head towards like a North Korea South Korea thing? Because I think that's maybe what the West wants. <sighs> well, no, they want regime change, which but, we've been over. Um, Okay, yeah, but when they, you say they want regime change in North Korea too, right? That's not mutually exclusive. Well, I mean, they're not actively funding not a war effort to achieve no, because regime change in North Korea. But my point is that a settlement would seem to a settlement would seem to imply long term peace, whereas a ceasefire, unless it's like in a rare condition, the only reason I brought up Korea was because it's allegedly a ceasefire where the war isn't settled, but. I, most people would interpret a ceasefire to mean a short-term arrangement. Probably, uh, I, th- I think. I think. I think the, the the terms are fungible and interchangeable enough that okay. they could both mean a variety of thing. different things. Yeah. Okay. Well, the only candidate that's uh, in the mainstream that has said that they wanted a cease uh, a, a end to hostilities, I believe, are Trump, who said, right in, in the immediate term, not just like, well, there's some kind of eventual end date. Settlement based on conditions we know that will 
have Russia agree to unless we meet, basically defeat them militarily. That's the unspoken premise, right? They hide all this behind this. Yeah, we want a settlement. Of course, everyone wants a settlement, but we want it on our terms. And these terms just so happen to be things Russia will never accept until they're defeated militarily, right? I mean, these are things that are like, we're going to have Crimea taken back, right? Oh, yeah. And and, 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 and even Ukraine itself will claim, like Zelensky will claim, of course, we also want a settlement. And here's our here are our conditions for the settlement. And it's this quote-unquote... Ukraine sort of peace initiative, I think they call it, which is very impressively euphemistic, where they give all the criteria for their settlement, and it includes, you know, the restoration of entire territorial control. Right. It includes reparations, you know, it includes every, uh, stuff that can only be achieved through military victory, obviously. And right. even ar- also arguably regime change itself in Russia. But, it's a, but they're saying that they want the, all that achieved in service of coming to this hypothetical settlement. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, the, invoking the concept of a settlement means nothing in practice if it's not tethered to correct. the actual conditions that you could bring about through policy action. If you're, yeah, you're not willing to say what you're able to negotiate, right? You, you can't say we want a settlement and we're going to get everything we want. That's incoherent. That's what the war's for. You're you're gonna say we want a settlement. Here's what we're willing to give. Here's the conditions, right. and they're they meet some conditions. Uh, okay. are, are you so about I, to say that I, Robert I, F. Kennedy Jr. is a quote mainstream candidate? Like, can no, I preempt I said you? He's not. No, okay. I was gonna say he's not. Okay, uh, because I was gonna say Trump. Well, you said there were two candidates who were ma- mainstream who were saying this. Trump and who else? Well, I guess you would say, in that sense, he's a mainstream. Like people might know his name. It's not like. Um, you know, he's. Are there other Democrats running at all, like other than Marion Williamson and Kennedy? Because I feel like most people know those two people are running now that are like kind of politically active. And I don't, pers- I consider myself fairly politically active. I don't know if there are any other Democrats actively running right now or not. I just have no clue. Um, I mean, there are always a bunch of just minor gadfly candidates who run in every election. So I, th- I think I think I remember there being a, some others, like even like so when I. I there are okay. even like some people who, whose name I can't remember who ran against Obama technically in the 2012 Democratic primaries, but so, those are the only those are the only two that have any uh, you know stature at all. That's that's what more I was trying to say. Someone that's distinct enough that people might know their name compared to the other people that we might not even know. That's all I was meaning to say. But the main point was okay. that Trump has said that he'd end the war in 72 hours. He just said he'd end the war. He wants the war to stop. Wasn't specific on how that would happen, but. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think Trump's blowing hot air as well. I mean, <laughs> Trump, Trump, well, Trump, Trump's said, right? Trump, oh, rather than uh, I, 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 I differentiate Trump and DeSantis from the standpoint of Trump at least claiming that yes. he would initiate immediate negotiations, which would require a policy shift substantively if he were to take office January 20th, 2025, right? Um, <laughs> whereas... DeSantis is committing himself to nothing. Correct. I agree. Um, but, but, but at the same time, Trump is basically saying, look, because I don't want to be predictable or I don't want to, I don't want to show my cards, I'm not going to actually say what the terms of this negotiation would be at all. Um, right. Which is not, you know, it's, it's, it's different it's than DeSantis, but it's not it, like it should inspire confidence. No, it's not satisfactory. It's not satisfactory. However, I would like to ask you one question. What is your current understanding of Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s stated policy? My understanding is I don't really particularly care what his stated policy is. And let me let me explain. Okay, 
He doesn't have a record. He has a bunch of algorithmic pandering that he's done since he gained a huge following around COVID and was able to pick up on like what press certain buttons within the followership should know and just fed them red meat. By the way, when I, and when I put together a thread, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, I, I, when I put this... well, let me let me finish. Let me finish. I'll let you resp- respond. I put together a thread after I got a cult meltdown for mentioning something about his voice, which I'm not even going to mention again because people think I'm like you know mocking a disability or whatever. So forget that. But it did give a window into the cult devotion to this ridiculous dynastic figure who is just fabricating history for his own. Political leverage to rehabilitate the legacy of his dad, daddy and uncle, Bobby and Jack, okay? So I went and just, you know, for my own due diligence, did a, some cursory research on what Robert F. Kennedy Jr., probably the most diehard supporter of Hillary Clinton in the country over the past 25 years, more so than even Bill, has said um, on his social media uh, and, and, and public bar. appearances. And all, you know, I, I put out the thread of him... So, you know, endure, you know, being a Russia gator and talking about that he wants to crush the NRA and all this stuff that would seem to fly in the face of some of the weird right wing support that he garners. And lo and behold, they, they went through and deleted all the tweets and Facebook posts because they don't want people looking up what he said in like 2019 as though that's ancient history or, you know, that's that's the that's the pre-industrial revolution era. I, I, I don't know. It's like ancient Greece or something. So we can't look at what he was saying in 2019. Um, and so, you know, if, if if the guy has no real record, then of course you can just throw all the red meat you want to your newfound algorithmic base, and then I'm supposed to treat that as though it's a legitimate position. No, I think, just I think it should be reported when you're talking about. When you're presenting someone's position on its subject, you should present the entirety of it. Well, I don't know what his, his position is incoherent to me. Well, that's interesting because the clip you showed, he explained his position after the end of the clip you showed. Which well, is his, 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 what was in his, his position was that the U.S. Well, is in, actually, quote, the Ukraine for all the right reasons. That was his position. That was his, that was his explanation of why we're there to Americans. He went on to describe well, why is he of the belief the actual, that you, why is he of the belief that the that the United States is in, quote in the Ukraine quote end quote for all the right reasons why did he say that what, what are mean, all the right reasons what, oh why you why do Americans want to no no why does Robert F Kennedy Jr yeah. he said it from his he, he was, said there, he was well, giving his belief he was giving his belief. He said that yes. his position was that the United States is in the Ukraine for all the right reasons. As it, Why, what are those right reasons? Those right reasons were that they saw a country that was getting attacked and wanted to help it. And that's how he was. Oh, okay. Now, would you just <laughs> let, let me finish? Go ahead. It's very difficult because I go, you know, I have to listen to something that's like five minutes. I'm trying to. I'm muting myself. A lot of things here. Okay. So when he's saying that, what I believe a you could pretty reasonably infer is he's giving his interpretation of what America is and what the American people were signing on to and saying that America is a good nation with good people. And what they saw was a nation being attacked and they wanted to help. And that's why we're there. And that's, that's not what he said, though. Basically prefacing this. Basically, he said that America is there for all the right reasons for humanitarian causes. But if you then listen to what he's saying, he says the actual reality is that we're a humanitarian 
intervention would be an end to the bloodshed. It would necessitate that the the end result of a the immediate result of a humanitarian intervention can't be continued destruction, which is what the actual policies are. That's that's what they're leading to, which is basically your point that you've been repeating. Yeah, no, I th- I do think I th- I think that so, probably I think that is his it. ultimate point. I do think he's incoherent in that he gives this preface where okay, he's boasting fine. about his son, you know, machine gunning down Russians in Kharkiv, and doing this like throat clearing, you know, prelude to his ultimate position, which I don't deny, and he said it a number of times now is. Starkly different from Joe Biden. I just think that he is. He, he, well, I think it's a pander. I mean, I think it has no it connection is. to any established record that he's ever evinced yeah, throughout no, his I, you know, I, 60, 70 years in public life. He hasn't been a politician. He's yes, he has. Activist. Are you he's kidding? He's been an activist. He's been an he's, activist. He's, of he's, course, been a politician. Has he he's been a politician in the 90s. When did, when, when did he run for elected office? I'm, I'm unaware. He, jo- he jockeyed for the uh, New York State Senate seat in uh, 2009 to replace Hillary Clinton. He, I mean, wh- why do you think he was bending over backwards at every possible okay. opportunity to endorse Hillary Clinton? Because he had no political aspirations? He just loved Hillary Clinton that much. He was just so passionate it's, about Hillary. Could we also make nothing that when Trump was running, we basically just shouldn't have listened to him because he didn't have a record the first time, basically, is what I was getting at. Well, no, before. I'm not saying we shouldn't because have listened to him. I'm saying well, some discernment should have been used you're, to evaluate Trump. Well, if you were just calling for discernment, that would be one That's thing. That's what I'm calling for. I, I, wonder, I would think it would be more appropriate to show the entire context of his statement. Why do I have to, to post an entire two-hour speech Instead of it's, an excerpt from a speech, it two hours. It's five minutes. It's five minutes. It's not two hours. It's a ridiculous conflation. Okay, so so hours. I can't. It's so you can't minutes. quote a politician. Of course, you can quote a politician. How how small? I didn't put the words quote. in his mouth. He said them. I'm not alleging you did that. I'm so why did he? So you're, so, so you're, when, when he, uh, critical context and painting a, a view of Kennedy. Because well, I, I I think he's I think the whole I think the whole conceit of the campaign is generally fraudulent. So okay, yeah, rather yeah. than buttering him up like every other podcaster who wants to bring him on and kiss his ass and well, do this JFK assassination, you know, choose your own adventure nonsense. So I'm pointing that. out some of the what I see as the flaws in the fraudulence of the whole conceit. Yes, that's my you, approach. You can't do that without showing the Why not? Why can't I? I'm saying you're you're apparently physically incapable of that because you didn't. You decided it's better not to show the full context and say, "Hey, this is contradictory." He's he's wishy-washy. You for whatever reason, I I just don't think that I'm giving you the reasons. It's, it's a little uh Sly, I'll say. To just oh, yeah, Sly. So I'm yeah. sorry. You have to just rely on the 10,000 other online bullshit peddlers who kiss the guy's ass it, and on. think that he's combating the deep state because he gives this fake version of history through Uncle Jack and, uh, and Daddy Bobby. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the me, most bizarre, it. infantile <laughs> campaign. It's actually, I, Andrew, I, I'm actually not joking or trying to be sly or trying to be condescending when I say I actually think it's the most insulting political campaign I've ever seen. And here's why. Because although other campaigns are very insulting in their own special way, this one has a special insulting quality because it's being force-fed to me as something I should jettison my cr- critical faculties to support because it supposedly lines up with what I think. Like it's, it's, the same, it's the same reason why I had to jettison my critical faculties and celebrate the majesty of Tara Reid. Remember no. that episode? As the face of the I anti-war movement. 
I have nothing to do with Tara Reid. She's blocked. Well, me. I mean, I remember you. I remember Sorry. you. I remember you enthusiastically defending the the fake anti-war rally in February yeah, that she was the emblem of. Am I wrong? We've gone over this. Well, I mean, so what do you think of her defecting to Russia? I don't care because she's... You don't care? You cared when we had a three-hour discussion about it in February? I didn't care about Tara Reid. I said that she shouldn't have been there, and that it's completely fair to criticize her participation. Apparently, you're misremembering the conversation. I'll I'll go back and listen to it. Yeah, go ahead, because I told you that I personally don't have anything for Tara Reid, and I'm pretty sure I even said that uh, I would have had discernment, and I don't understand. I think I even asked, why was she there? What does she have to do with Russia? I think those were my exact words. But uh, getting back to the main central theme here about your positioning on this Kennedy thing. It's not positioning. It's not positioning. Okay. You're you're saying I'm – you're implying that I'm asking you to butter him up and all this ridiculous shit. Well, not you. No, I'm not saying that you're trying to butter him up. I'm saying that every every bit of coverage I see of him from people in the, quote, alt media, the same ones who puffed up – like fakery, like Tara Reid peddled for years. They don't use any critical reasoning Who's, at all to I'm evaluate not, the candidacy. Kim Iverson, Dave, uh, Dave Smith, I'm sorry to say, but Jimmy Dore, who I like and I'm personally fr- friendly with. It's the same routine always with these people where anybody who comes yeah. on the show with them, all of a sudden now, you know, it's like they're, they're, they're now that they're these giant well, promoters of the Kennedy dynasty. Are you kidding me? I'm not criticizing them. I'm not talking to them. I could criticize them for that, but I'm talking to you, and you're talking okay, to me. Okay, let's talk to me, then. I'm saying, is it more... Uh, you're talking about being fair to him. Being critical is is fair. I think being critical is fair. I, I don't expect you to gloss over his imperfections. I, I would expect fairness. I would expect totality. And in my opinion, it's a pretty simple question. Is it more fair to judge or put out a statement about a, uh, a politician on a topic when it's one minute on a speech? And he's, yes, it's two hours, but that segment on the topic is like six minutes. Is it is it more critically fair to show one minute or the whole five six minute context if you're going to make a critical judgment or does it okay so so Andrew let's say let's say that I wanted to hone in on two particular statements that he made I'm not purporting to represent the entire body of thought that he's articulated vis-a-vis Ukraine but rather two particular statements that would seem to contradict the popular understanding of him. I didn't maliciously edit the statements. I didn't fabricate the footage. I simply excerpted about one minute and six seconds of the two-hour speech. And I happened to highlight the portion where he elicits rousing applause from the assembled crowd at his campaign announcement speech for uh, his pride in his son gunning down Russians in Kharkiv who, uh, by the way, he apparently paid for the credit card bills of the son to be able to get the machinery to carry out well, that mission, we which is, know. well, they, I mean, no, no, nobody asks him yet. about it because well, when I, every time that. I see him so on a podcast, it's just, oh, look, the deep state killed my uncle. I mean, give me a freaking break. <laughs> we know he um, had access to the records, right? That's what we know. He admitted to having access to the records. Okay, so not let somebody, not let not somebody ask him. I would love to ask him to clarify that. Yeah, I think you would give him a good interview. Fine. Okay, well, I'll do, I'll do it. I, I, you know, I, I am actually, you know, I, I personally, I'm personally friendly with Dennis Kucinich, who's well, apparently, which is which, which is which I, I am annoyed by because Dennis yeah. Kucinich and Tulsi Gabbard are two of the and Ron Paul are th- the three, three of the yeah. only people I've ever had, yeah, any kind of political affinity with because they actually demonstrate independence of thought and courage 
And then they go to the fake anti-war rally and, and tarnish themselves by association. And now Dennis Kucinich is running what I perceive to be a fraudulent candidacy. Even so, I would treat in any prospective interview with him, RFK Jr., I mean, with fairness, I'm not, I didn't put, I didn't make up a quote. Yeah, no one's saying you did. Okay, I but think- I, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's unfair. So if I wanted to point out potential discrepancies in the popular perception among these online fanboy circles of RFK Jr., you should show both parts of the speech. Why? Say, hey. Why can't I show a minute excerpt? It, it's it's like if I were to write a column about it. You could. I'm not saying you I can't quote. Say. I can't quote a paragraph of a speech. It was like three sentences. Yeah, you could quote that. You could quote okay. whatever you want. But I'm saying. I mean, so, 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 don't, but don't you think. Well, hold on. That, hold, if you're Andrew, only going to talk okay. about that. I'm trying to calm, let me try to calm down here. I'm sorry. I didn't want to. I don't mean to be rude. I mean, you know that I get excitable. If I think that the premises of this candidacy are largely fraudulent, okay, and yeah. I think that there's pandering going on, an algorithmic sort of red meat throwing to bolster a campaign who basic research shows was the diametric opposite of what it's now purporting to be like two years ago. I know that's ancient history, but I don't know. You can do research. And I point out that in the campaign announcement speech that was supposedly this inspiring, you know, oratory against the deep state and showing his dissension on foreign policy, he starts off with this long-winded preface about... How and I don't think he was just saying, "Oh, the American people think it." He was saying he, he was giving. I mean, all I could do is listen to what he actually said. He said that his belief is that the American presence in Ukraine is good and humanitarian. And no, maybe it's gone like off the rails now. But like, if it just had, had stuck to its original humanitarian intent, that he would have been all for it. And I guess his son was in Kharkiv mowing down Russians with machine guns, also for humanitarian purposes. But that's another story. Um, if, if I think that there's there's uh, too much credulity in the portrayal of this candidacy, and there's a portion of the announcement speech that sheds light on that, why am I therefore oblo- why am I obliged to post the <clears throat> six minutes rather than the one minute and six seconds that I'm referring to? I mean, I didn't need to need to post the clip at all. I could have just no, you not the just transcript. Yeah, you can just could, quote it. Well, right. So would it, saying, would it would it have been would it have been journalistically invalid for me to quote the like quote the text? I think it would have been more journalistically. Uh, I don't want to say ethical, but maybe like thorough to quote the whole text because there was the response you got was pretty clearly a focus. Well, I mean, on, there's a, there's a because there's a, lots of cultists who are yeah. valorizing this phony candidacy. Which you know is I, I'm now very well aware of, so I'm not surprised. That's what that's what you get online. If you use the even even if it wasn't the whole clip, you could have even just found three different sentences where he appears to contradict what he just said, and so you could even use that. Behind, I mean, Andrew, a in a vacuum, if somebody if somebody came up gave a speech, whatever the whatever the full context, and said, I want to say that the reasons for the U.S. presence in Ukraine are good and humanitarian, or I'm, I'm paraphrasing, whatever he said, whatever the exact quote was, 
Would your immediate instinct be to bend over backwards to say, oh, it's actually building up to a broader... I mean, if I said that... Well, he's running a political what? campaign. Well, exactly! Started, yeah. So, but, he's a bullshitter. Point. That's the point. Well, my point is that his actual... Why is he going through and deleting all his old tweets? <laughs> Again, the same reason. He's running a Okay, so if campaign. he's a bullshitter, then why are think, people treating him I, like a personal friend? I mean, the Kennedy I, I, dynasty? Really? Because they, they, they hope that they... First of all, they see... I even did a debate with this guy, Aaron Good, who I didn't even know this, but apparently had him on his podcast and is like oh, one yeah. of these cheerleaders. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's promoting this fake version of history of the John F. Kennedy administration. I mean, it's not even just about the historical falsity of the uh, of what's being told as to the record of the Kennedy administration, which was 60 freaking years ago. It's how it's being now leveraged to put forth a faulty conception of the, quote, deep state and of U.S. foreign policy that does nothing to actually strengthen cr the critique. It promotes a paranoid, hallucinatory false vision of that critique and is flatly counterproductive just like the fake anti-war rally was which i think i've now you know that's my position it's not because i have some ulterior motive like that's what i actually think well i didn't say you did no i'm not saying that you said it but like i'm just trying to clarify because like why you know, I, I just have like a random vendetta against the guy i mean why would i why would that be the case maybe it's actually a substantive critique Okay. <sighs> well, I was. Well, I'm, now, I'm, now, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm sweating and writhing on the floor. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I, I actually don't even remember what it was that you. Oh, why are people uh, so fond of him? I mean, I guess uh, there are a lot of motives at play, but I think for the average person that's not financially, commercially interested or for clout or whatever you might uh, allege, that they see him giving a message on a probably the most important topic considering what the president actually is in this campaign cycle uh, that no one else is giving and that they would like to see that elevated as high as possible, whether they think that the guy is completely genuine or not, and that they would mostly see that uh, three sentences you quoted as a, like the, uh, you know, politically astute viewer would see that as like a prefacing and prepackaging of an idea that he's going to have So what's your opinion of that preface? Just taking the preface on its own terms, what is your opinion of it? I think it's an idealistic and naive preface. Okay, there you go. Not Perfect. And however, I think that is not unreasonable for a politician. I don't expect these people to be fucking sages, Michael. I mean, Jesus Christ. Well, who do you think <laughs> Well, the, the cult followers the, seem to think he's a sage. The cult followers seem to think that he's like this horse whisperer telling all the secrets <laughs> about the deep state that go back to when Uncle Jack was in office. Well, that shows you the mood of the country, doesn't it? The well, yeah. Well, and, 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 that, and if well, the mood of the country is being... If the he's mood of the country is being... Push in a more paranoid, hallucinatory direction that is antithetical to the kind of rational well, critique needed. Then I think that should be pointed out rather than saying, "Oh, what do you expect? The well, politician is not going to be a sage." I'm not, not expecting anybody to be a sage, but I'm also not going to tolerate being foisted with bullshit and being <laughs> lectured to uh, appreciate that bullshit. But that's the cultists you're talking about. I'm talking about the campaign. The campaign is not feeling that paranoia at all. In fact, what I'm telling you is that they're trying no, to... No, he absolutely is. They, that, that's the whole reason I'm even talking about okay. this. They are feeling well, the paranoia. I think he's bringing the least paranoia in terms of his message. He goes around promoting issues. a book called by this guy, uh, Jim... 
Jim Wallace, I think. I don't even want to get into it. It's just so embarrassing. Okay. I mean, the guy is like a the- he's a he's one of the self-professed theologians for 9/11 Truth who wrote a book on the Kennedy assassination, and it's being promoted by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as this like Rosetta Stone for U.S. history, and saying this is what we need. These are the lessons we need to be inspired by to confront the problems before us today. Really? Okay. Well, the policy- I think you should read some other texts. The policies that he stated he, that he would immediately initiate a ceasefire. He said this on the All In podcast about nine minutes forty five seconds in. He was asked what he would do. He said he would immediately have a ceasefire and settle the war. He was asked if he would stop arming them if Zelensky refused, and he just said he would settle the war, which you can interpret that however you might want to. But he then said that the U.S. has massive economic and social pressure can apply, which I think goes without speaking, and basically said how. You know, it, 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 they they can't fight the war without us because they're not equipped. So, you know, these are the messages. Well, Tara Reid said stuff along those lines, too. But these are messages of sanity. It's Tara Reid says stuff like that, too. That means I have yeah, to well, just get so a to, promoter of Tara so Reid. If some insane person says something, then I guess you can't repeat it. Then does it's not right anymore. If the Nazis say something in 1941, the Russians have to say it's not true. No, 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 I mean, no. I mean, is, something. Uh, Robert Reed's F. Kennedy can she, say true things. Why do you even care about uh, Tara Reid is going to do what she's going to do? Rob, hold on. Robert F. Kennedy can say true stuff. Yes, but and he's the only that doesn't one oblige me to be a credulous promoter of his candidacy if I, I think it's predicated on fraud. I, I didn't expect you to be. You, you're projecting a lot of this cultist attitude onto me. I'm sitting here saying that the reason people appreciate his candidacy is because he's the only message. Including, okay, and I think they're beyond, being swindled. even Donald Trump. I think anyone that votes is being swindled, Tracy. So, you know, get on my level. Okay. Anyway, uh, lastly. I'll uh, agree with that. Uh, 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 and with a compliment since we just did this whole thing where uh, the, the Twitter spaces was... Uh, Valid point that I wish they would have addressed. <laughs> you mean like, tonight? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that was my fault. I should have. Co- I was. They invited me to come like right off off the bat, but I was well, uh, napping. I don't know. I the moderation in those panels sometimes. I really wish they would focus on some more important issues sometimes. And these, uh, the idea that uh, people are being deceived. Uh, this should be a central theme of these spaces, of the, of the, of the dissonance between the U.S. official messaging and U.S. official right. policy. But because well, it because it devolves it devolves into pro-Russia and pro-Ukraine partisans arguing, which yeah. is never going to be resolved. It's it's it starts becoming about depleted uranium and who cares? Right, it's <laughs> right. as though that guy all sources is like look on at, the I'm ground. A like, I'm a tanker. T- look at my profile. Yeah, wait, what, what are you uh, taking oil samples in like? Um, you know, Donetsk? I mean, what are you talking about? Well, he saw a gun that fires it, and so now he knows it's been fired because he saw the gun, and it was in Ukraine. You know, that's... that's who See, cares? It, 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 reminds me, it reminds me of somebody analyzing the Zapruder film, which gets back to the <laughs> Kennedy theme. Well, but, yeah, I just... Uh, I thought, you know, whatever... I'm sure you won't have to wait till uh, very long until Ukraine commits another terrorist act, and then they'll have a Twitter spaces to capitalize on that. And you can get in there and... <laughs> bring up a civilian point again and hopefully they'll talk about it instead of immediately diverting back into a fucking retarded conversation yes now my only my my only real platforms beyond like my own personal stuff i guess are twitter spaces and that weird israeli channel that has me on every now and then which you know i appreciate 
What happened to the Indian news? Oh, I don't sure know. I haven't gotten. I don't know. I would love to go on that again. <laughs> I, I haven't been invited for a while. Okay. Or Turkish state media. That's another option for me, which I've been on. All right. Um, well, I mean, all right. Thanks, a- thanks, there, thanks, so. Andrew. Appreciate. I mean, I like hold, I like having my feet held to the fire, even if now there's sweat just pouring out of every crevice of my disgusting, ravished body. I told you I would agree with you, so I did give you a warning. <laughs> you did. You were, you were spot on. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Hey, Gator. Hey, Michael. Yeah. Um... Have at me. No, no, Have no, at no, me. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I'm now. I'm totally supine, just immobilized on the ground, beaten to a bloody pulp. I I agree with your observations about Kennedy, but what I would advise you to do is that you've got to stay calm and apply objectivity across the board because you don't sound objective, right? And what does that mean, objective? Irrespective of what, well, because you're ranting about. You know shortcomings that you're finding in Kennedy, right? And 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 well, I. Well, do I do the same with I, Biden I the, and DeSantis and Trump? Like, do I rant, not rant about the shortcomings of others? Not like that. Not like this is not like not to not to this extent. Of, well, because I don't have people online telling me that oh you're in you're, you're a fellow traveler of Joe Biden or Ron DeSantis, therefore you ought to be singing his praises. Well, I mean, look, I don't, I don't engage in Twitter like you do, right? And uh, I don't think it's healthy anyway. Um, well, that I can't. And, really I think argue if with. you want, <laughs> if, if if you if you want to get fucking wound up with with bots that you can't tell what they are, go on Twitter. But you know, using Twitter to 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 put out a message and then let people fighting out below and ignoring what's below is probably the way I would advise people to use Twitter. That you don't literally don't know what's real on it and you can always expect this binary uh, literally a stream of binary <clears throat> positive negative yes no hate like answers out of it it's it's completely destructive mentally destructive okay let me just i mean i I'll, i take i take constructive criticism and I'll, I'll 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 bear that in mind but when you say i'm getting wound up i mean what else should i get wound up NBA basketball, the Kardashian. I mean, isn't this the most legitimate issue about which to get wound up? If well, you're going to get wound point, up about this anything? Is the point of making, right? Yes, of course. But do it, you know, as long as you come across even-handedly. If you want to apply the word cult to followers of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you have to apply that to anyone who follows anyone politically. Because if you're going to say his following's a cult, so is Joe Biden's, so is DeSantis's. Every fucker's in a cult if you're going to look at it weird like that. Um, of course, of course, there's slavish devotion to every major major political figure, but there is a particular tenor to the Kennedy support as a sort of natively online phenomenon that stemmed from like his vaccine activism that had now got, is branched off the whole deluge of other subjects. And I do, I just, I do note like a weird close epistemology associated with the Kennedy thing that I don't see in quite the same form elsewhere but yeah obviously the word cult is pretty um tantalizing so i uh, i could see why maybe one might advise to avoid that term because people are going to find it insulting um but i i i just see a certain cult logic in operation where it has like foundational theological texts it's this book you know jfk why he died, and like the whole idea is that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
is carrying on the legacy of his uncle who really wanted to end the Cold War, but just got thwarted by the assassin's bullet in Dallas. I mean, it's this whole, like, weird origin story <clears throat> that reminds me of, like, the book of Genesis or something, rather than anything that's amenable to reason. And so that's why I use the word cult, even though, because there's, like, unique characteristics to it that I think are distinct from the cult-like followings of maybe other politicians. Yeah, and I, 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 I agree. Right. And also, you know, but but the, but the way I look at your job, <clears throat> if I was you, is this. If you're going to be a journalist about this, you need access. You're going to switch off access to, to Robert Kennedy if if basically you keep doing what you're doing, because he's just going to go. The guy's clearly on an attack path. He's going to he, he's using he's going if to he, if you type out the word cult too many times on the fucking Twitter, you'll lose that access. Right. If I was him dealing with you, if I believed that you were you were even handedly objective, Right, then I would probably take the. But hold on, Gator. Isn't the ordinary critique of journalists that they modulate what they're saying in order to preserve access? Well, it depends who they think they're dealing with, right? Because if your coverage isn't a swing issue for him, right, you're not that bigger an outlet of or or serve a big enough audience, then then I would cut you off as a liability if I believed that you were basically out to pull me down as a <clears throat> as as a cult leader, right? So. And so I don't think it serves your access to sort of pursue publicly this kind of description, descript, these, use these kind of descriptors, right? So the game I would play <clears throat> is that you need to be, you need to... I don't really want to play a game, though. I'd rather just yeah, try to accurately analyze to the best of my ability. Because I want the questions, I want the questions you're asking to be answered, right? I agree. Okay, but, but, but hold on, but hold on. Wouldn't it reflect poorly on him if... He would cut off access, meaning just the ability to have a question posed to him by somebody who was critical of him on the, on the Internet. Like, is that the kind of open, robust debate that you'd expect from a major presidential candidate, especially one who, yes, is elevated as this, like, sagacious figure? Only if you believe that you're going to be some kind of critical difference in his ability to pursue a critical campaign. He could switch you off using... So if I don't serve his interest, then I'm cut off, essentially. No, it's about, it's about maintaining, um, you know, enough of a non-partisan um, front for, for people to say, OK, I'll... OK, well, I'm, I don't have... It's not my constitution to maintain a, quote, <clears throat> front where I pretend that I'm not annoyed by a fabricated version of history being promoted in service of popularizing this paranoid conception of both history and contemporary affairs that I think is actually diametrically antithetical to the claim purpose of what is being popularized in that the biggest fans of this phony theological oversimplified reductionist conception of the deep state quote unquote is the deep state itself because it shows that the most ardent opponents or critics of the deep state are actually mired in delusional fantasies yeah that's I, my I, view so I, I have to, if i have well, to put I, on I a agree. front if well, i have I to put agree. on but, but, but so wait. if i have to put on a front and pretend that i don't think that then i guess i'm not cut out for the job and if that right, means but getting... wait a second well, but i i agree with with your general sentiment right but if you, but the way I would look at this is that if, if you want to test that theory and therefore to be able to credibly draw that conclusion based Are upon you cooking eggs, by the way? Will give you as a result, of, <laughs> as a result of, of engaging with you, you have to engage with him. So reserve all of that, get the access in the thing lined up, 
put him to the test, and if you still feel that he hasn't done anything to convince you, then you can unleash hell on him and call it all out. Okay, that's a fair point. Him. I will do that. And but if you, and if you give your position away from the beginning... But I'm not going right? to conceal my and position he, arbitrarily. But you if don't he need wants to, to reject... shout about it, do you? You can keep Whoa. it to yourself. Like, Whoa. stop taking shitloads of heat on Twitter and just focus on getting access to him. Because I want those questions answered. I want to know how he resolves three fucking term or runs backing Clinton. Because when I looked into what he was backing her on, in, I think, 2016, his message appeared to be that he, it looked to me like, essentially, he was being paid to endorse her via concessions she was apparently willing to make on an environmental issues, which he looks... I don't think he was being paid. I think it was just... Well, well, it was, it know, was political ingratiation. It was just po yeah, standard his, that, yeah, but his, political ingratiation. Yeah, his payment was... A quid pro quo. I'll say this about the environment if you if you endorse me. That's payment in political terms. Well, yeah. I mean, in two thousand eight, I mean, people will not be familiar with this if they're too young or maybe just weren't following it. But uh, his cousin Caroline Kennedy, so the daughter of John F. Kennedy, the saint, the saint and the martyr, um, was the front runner to be appointed as Hillary Clinton's successor in the New York Senate seat. In uh, in the Senate seat in New York, that RFK Jr.'s father once held, and so you know there was this massive lobbying campaign in which the leverage that was accumulated by the Kennedy family, or at least portions of it, in supporting Hillary. Actually, the Kennedy family kind of split. Interestingly enough, so Ted Kennedy supported Obama, and RFK Jr. was such a hardcore Clinton devotee that he was for Hillary all the way as a dead ender. I mean, I. I, I do think it's amazing that, I mean, are you aware of any of these ass-kissing podcast interviews that he's done where they've even brought it up? Or yeah. did they just quote ask him about his, quote, position that he algorithmically formulated in, like, the last two months? Yeah, of course. I agree, right? And this is why somebody like you has to be able to get access, right? So so on going back a second, um, you've, you've answered, you, you answer your own questions, right? Because you're saying that, yes, there is a mythos, right? And that he is using that mythos to basically, you know, um, gain traction in any audience. And I agree, right? Because as you point out, <clears throat> and as I, my, my reading, light reading on it is done, the Kennedy relationship with the CIA is not what is encapsulated within that quote about tearing it down and, and put, put, sending it to the wind, right? It's the opposite. It's and he he's yeah. the one who is popularizing that quote. He got Jack Dorothy to tweet it out. Yeah. And if you believe any or... It's much, a fraud. Yeah. If you believe any or much of Kirsch's take on what the Kennedys were doing... Well, it's not a matter of believing it. It's funny. Everybody lo who loves... Have you noticed that there are people online who love Hirsch's reporting lightly? Unlike the Nord Stream pipeline, yeah, but, but but the fact that he Hirsch spent five years writing a book in the nineties on Kennedy, that's Hirsch and his like corrupt low point or something. It makes no sense. Yeah, I agree. So so but but the whole but but if you were Kennedy, if you were Robert F Kennedy Jr. and you wanted a chance, I would find a different line there. of work. Well. Well, he's not. He's in this one, right? He doesn't agree with you on what he wants to do right now. I would use the mythos because you know that that's how politics works, right? And and you're right. 
the, 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 although he is locked out of large parts of the mainstream media, there are plenty of other alt things. And I don't know. You say he's locked out. I've seen the guy places. on CNN. I've seen him on Fox. I've seen him on ABC. Where is he locked out? Well, okay. I, maybe I don't watch enough of the mainstream media. I don't watch I, it either, but when I hear that this guy is like this bold dissident who's being locked out of mainstream media, and I see him interviewed on ABC and CNN and Fox and everywhere, I, I wonder what they're talking about. Okay, oh, well, let me, I'll, I'll spend more time looking and, and, and verify my own statement then. But, um, but he, he basically, there was, there was, uh, you know, I, I would use the mythos that you're describing. So you shouldn't be frustrated or angry about the fact that it exists. It's just a marketing trick, right? You know that. Here's, I guess okay. here's what I'm angry about. It's not that the mythos is being used, because, of course, he's going to use that as a, one of his political assets. His name is Kennedy. Yes. His father was Robert F. Kennedy. So if you're going to try to advance your political interests, then that's one of the assets you would utilize. I guess what I'm more angry about, if you want to frame it as anger and like make it sort of psychological, which I'm not going to deny because I do find it frustrating... It's that people who ought to know better, people in like, quote, alt media, people who are ordinarily relatively astute observers of political happenings, they, they're, they're, they're credulous promoters of the, of the mythos. That's what angers me. But you can't expect anything else from people, right? From it's journalists? Like, yes, because all journalists are incapable right at somewhere no not all something right they're all they're all they all will fi find you will find somebody at some weak point in everybody right where they where they where they go yeah you know what i like this guy i buy enough of his stuff and and therefore i'm going to go with it right now whether that's kim iverson or whether that's you know i don't know whoever pick your pick a name you, you'll you'll find that in everyone because they're human beings right now, with, the, with Kennedy as well. But that's, a, but that's, a, that, but that's about... a built in excuse to justify ineptitude on anyone's part. No, for it's because it's, this is, but this is the why propaganda fucking works on everyone on some level about something, right? If it, if, this is why reporting is what it is today. Because basically, people aren't as clever and as fucking true and right and objective as anyone wants to tell themselves, right? You aren't, and I'm not, and neither is anyone else. Everyone ha tries to. Be everyone can claim that they try to, but they aren't. Okay, but if it, I fall short, hold on. It's a version of the Dunning-Kruger effect. If I okay, well, I mean that's now an overused cliche that I get a little bit yeah, all the but, time. Um, it seems like a fake condition, by the way. But who knows? It's uh, not not in the game I work in. It's not. <laughs> what game do you work in? Uh, I don't really want to say. But okay. Then. Well, whatever. I mean, I, it feels like it's way overused. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so if if I fall short, like if let's say I have a blind spot that I develop where I succumb to propaganda, and I jettison my critical faculties, and I end up promoting like a fake, manipulative rendering of history and. Contemporary events. I mean, ought I not to be criticized for that? I mean, I should. That's why I subject myself to such criticism, even when it's unpleasant, even when it's over Twitter, even when it's coupled with insults and personal attacks. Because, right. you know, I, I accept that as coming with the territory. So 
I don't understand why, like, one should just complacently accept those sorts of failings when they're evinced on the part of people who you would think should know better. I agree, but but what but what you put the point I'm one of the point my points that you're missing is this: the way that you, as a journalist, demonstrate that to the world is not in the constant like micro tweet streams, which get forget forgotten or never seen almost seconds after they've ever been put out. The way you do that is to pursue all of the threads that you're looking at on RFK and produce a killer piece that actually people have well, to deal with. Well, that I agree with. That I agree with. That I actually and am And that should on. be your focus. That, uh, that's what right? I'm working on. I mean, I agree with that. Right. And, and if... if, and if, and if, and if you, uh, but, but I also don't think it's... I don't... Uh, I mean, first of all, you're right. And I agree with that. And there's limitations, clearly, to putting out a Twitter thread. Although I have to say, the first time I was inundated with, yes, the cultish, slavish devotion to this guy, which I hadn't fully appreciated at the time, I did do a thread, just because that was, you know, within my bailiwick at the time, where I did some basic research on him. And it caused such a flurry of consternation that the RFK social media team had to go through and purge the guy's tweets and Facebook posts. Right. And this- so it, it, it clearly had an impact. Yeah, but the point is that if I was your supervisor watching your method, I would be I would be telling you what I'm telling you now. You're fucking up your access because you're basically revealing. Do you want to be my supervisor? Before, before, right? You can hit pay dirt if they're if they're reacting to you or anyone roughly with your uh, questions, and they're now into defensive mode. You've already fucked up. You wanted him in a vulnerable, trusting position, right, so that you can get access and present the questions. If you've alerted them and they're now going into a degree of fire control, you've fucked up. I mean, I just think it's ironic to say I, quote, fucked up by putting out revelatory information about a presidential candidate's record. Which then, caused, which then caused them to launch into damage control mode. If, if that's that a fuck up, you all right, well, so bigger, be it. If that stops you getting the bigger I'll piece. continue pursuing the bigger picture, but I think it, it's more, it says more about them than it does me if me accurately reporting on the record of a candidate is what thwarts me from getting the, quote, access necessary to pose rational, substantive questions to him. If that's the end result... Then who does that, who does that reflect more badly on but, me but, or him? But, but, uh, well, well, I'm yeah, asking you, who does it reflect yeah, on? Of course, of course. But the point is, it's the method you employ to get the indelible or very difficult to argue out of p- decent amount of stuff that's even supported by what he says to you and your difficult questions. That's the killer difference. Not not a few tweets, and therefore you can say what you can ask for. Say, I agree with that. His question because he I managed to trigger deletions of tweets that'll last for a second in in any sphere but I agree with that. a significant piece that can even possibly be picked up in biggest bigger outlets who eventually want to attack him and they pick you up is a win for you as a journalist provided everything you've said has integrity in the piece I agree if with you that. destroy the access to get that thing you fail to hit pay dirt well all I can say is I'm friendly with Dennis Kucinich. Um, I respect his integrity. He's involved with the campaign. And if that results in me it being able to ask him questions at some point, great. If it means that I'm not able to do so because they don't like that I showed what he tweeted in 2019, uh, so be it. Um, 
But the the ultimate point is, I will continue pursuing a line of inquiry uh, akin to what you've suggested, because I do agree that that would be the more indelible entry into the journalistic record than just some fleeting Twitter threads, which I'm not trying to claim or anything more than they are. Um, it's just, you know, somebody sent me, somebody told me, here, here's what precipitated my posting that clip today. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. I was talking about DeSantis and Trump, or I was talking about DeSantis and Biden, rather, and somebody says, oh, the only anti-war candidate is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Somebody else replies to them saying, oh, no, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in his own announcement speech actually endorsed the concept of humanitarian intervention in Ukraine. Here's the timestamp on the speech. I couldn't sit through the entire thing, I have to admit, initially, because the guy sounds like he's gargling rocks and I couldn't find a full transcript. But I went back and uh, found the clip, and it seemed, like, noteworthy because it contradicted the common perception of him that you see uh, fostered within these online support fanboy circles where everybody now is being lectured to read these foundational texts about the JFK assassination because it shows how we have to all ardently support Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Okay. Um, That's how it came about. It wasn't like this orchestrated plan where like I'm saying, okay, on May 30th, I'm going to do a tweet. You know, it was just like something spur of the moment and not particularly part of some kind of larger plan. Um, That's how it works. Um, So that being said, though, I will heed your advice and want to implement that anyway in terms of putting out something that's more robust and long-lasting and indelibly kind of entered into the journalism records. I do agree, again, that that would have a much more um, appreciable impact. Good. I mean, because I would like to see that, because if you're one of the people, one of the possibly few people who's prepared to try to pursue the pull those threads, that needs to be done. I mean, additionally, his position on Ukraine, I agree with you. Right? If you listen to an interview that is out now, uh, that I think was done very recently between him and Colonel Douglas McGregor, it's it's ridiculous because McGregor lays out his... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, I actually don't, don't know. So tell me. Just, I, I don't know the information. Is this McGregor yeah. interviewing Kennedy or vice Kennedy versa? It's the way around, right? Okay. And and McGregor lays out his position, long-standing position. Wait, what, what medium is this on? Is this Kennedy? It's, like it's he has his own podcast, like campaign podcast now or something? Well, yeah, but you can get it on YouTube. Just type in McGregor and Kennedy and you'll find it, right? McGregor uninterruptedly lays out his, his analysis of the war, which has been basically largely correct, right? Kennedy never once... Um, pursues his line, uh, mentions it, I don't think he even mentioned his son, right? And in tolerating all of that and agreeing with him, and he actually agreed with McGregor, right? He undermined his own position, which he stated about his son fighting in the war. And as you point out, to claim that we're fighting that war for the right reasons, was that explaining in detail what those reasons are? Because essentially the reasons are because we don't like Russia, because we're pursuing the... Because it was an illegal, cruel invasion. That's what... Kennedy yeah, said in the speech, son, you know, and essentially what he's saying is, depending on the laws of your nation, if they're anything like Britain, his son is engaged in a legal. By the way, I love the birds chirping. It's such a beautiful backdrop. Continue. Say again. I love the sound of birds chirping in your background. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's very, very soothing. Good. See, you gotta gotta get find your Zen mode, right? Um, you know, he, he is saying 
<laughs> Where are you right now? In a bird sanctuary? I want to go there. No, I'm in the, I'm in the garden. I'm in the garden. <laughs> um, he is saying, on the one hand, that he supports his son potentially acting as an illegal warfighter, a contract mercenary warfighter. Right now, if that's a member of your family... And he right, paid and for it. Or he, he revealed... Robert F. Kennedy Jr. revealed in an interview with Megyn Kelly last October that somehow, some way... Robert F. Kennedy Jr. received the credit card bills of his 26-year-old son who was fighting as a machine gunner in Kharkiv against Russia. Now, how did Robert F. Kennedy Jr. get those credit card bills? Is he paying for the credit card expenses of his son? Otherwise, why would he have access to those bills? It's not a 12-year-old son. It's a 26-year-old son. I don't know. I would like to get clarification on that. I want to know if the presidential candidate who is being heralded as this bold dissenter against the pro-war consensus, actually funded the purchase of machine gunnery for his foreign vigilante son. Yeah, I mean, I do actually think that's, that's significant. I know it's his son. It and what is he going to I'm not expecting a, like a father to betray the son. But Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the one who's choosing to elevate the son's anecdote into this like political point. Of course, right? I agree. I would like an answer to that question as well. Now... Kennedy has this inalienable problem of going up against the DNC as an apparent outsider on a number of different in a number of different areas, right? And some of those are totally legitimate, but he can't get over the fact that the DNC is legally compelled to rig the primary, right? It's in its well. Mandate. I mean, it I don't. Do uh, that's it a whole. It, it that's can true. do what the fuck it wants in terms of handling who gets the presidential nomination. That's in its mandate, right? Debbie Wasserman Schultz admitted that in court. Okay. No, no she didn't. So, so the. I mean, but it, it, it's, it's relevant. She didn't say that, but it doesn't matter. But you, you know, and I know. There's no, there's no legal. I mean, let, let's just be clear about this. And I'm not defending the DNC, okay? But there's no quote legal mandate to rig the primaries. It's a whole convoluted, multifaceted set of different laws and regulations that exist on the state level, the federal level, and so forth, where it's not as though you could just rig. I mean, it's an oversimplification is what I'm saying. The, every party for every incumbent president ever has, quote, that rigged the primaries to some degree to ensure the renomination of the incumbent president. Trump did it in 2020. They didn't even have a party platform for God's sake, for the Republicans in 2020, because it was all just tailored around the re-coronation of Trump. Same in 2012 with Obama, same in 2004 with Bush. I mean, it, 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 to call it like some kind of uniquely nefarious rigging, but I'm not just talking unique about, to the DNC, the it doesn't make any sense. I'm not but talking anyway. about the incumbent. I'm talking about why Bernie Sanders basically did what, what happened to Bernie Sanders and what he chose to do happened without any legal recourse despite the well, what legal of, in 2016 or 2020 yeah 16 where where you well, know with, yeah. with where he gave up to clinton because and and, and the emails showed because it's party run because it, it's ultimately a party run process and the dnc and the rnc are both private entities yeah that's why but that's they help the they have but they have interfaces with public law so for example in a bunch of states the candidate who wins the party primary is then legally endowed with a certain delegate allocation, and that's enforceable by public law, right? So that's not something that Debbie Wasserman Solson swoop in and change. 
that's codified in like Arizona state law, for example. So, so it's just like, I, I don't know. I just think it's another example of, of an issue where if you just want to reduce it to this oversimplified sort of like mythological conception of the DNC, go ahead. But if that's actually going to be a hindrance to accurately analyzing the full scope of the phenomena you're talking about. Okay, maybe I've got that wrong. I'm prepared to sort of just, it's not the key, it's not the key point. No, I got it. That's just a side to. note on my part. RF, RFK is going to run up against basically the, 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 the guaranteed problem that he won't get the nomination, right? So why, if he knows that now, what the fuck's he doing? Right? He would either have to... Oh, I'll tell you what he's doing. It's perfectly re- rational right. what he's doing. Well... Okay, wait, he would either have to abandon the Democratic ticket and run as independent as some people think might happen, which I don't think will, or he's playing a game that he knows he can't win. No, right? I'll tell you exactly, I'll tell you he exactly he what he's doing. Win, what's he Hold doing? on, I'll tell you exactly what he's doing. And this is underappreciated. And maybe as a dirty foreigner, you don't fully appreciate it. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, the presidential primary process is basically just like a jobs program. Yeah. Okay. Why is Tim Scott running for the Republican nomination in 2024? Why did Tim Ryan, Bill de Blasio, names you probably don't even recall, why did they run for the Democratic nomination in 2020? Why did George Pataki, does that name ring a bell for you? Probably not, but he ran in 2016 for the Republican nomination. Why did all these people do it? Because it's rational and in their self-interest to do so, because if you're running for president, you get an avalanche of free publicity, you sell lots of books, you bolster your public profile, you get speaking engagements. If If you're an active politician like Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz were in 2016, even though they lost to Trump ultimately, they were elevated as some of those, as two of the most prominent Republican political figures in the country. So it, it was perfectly rational for them to do what they did. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr., even if he doesn't get the Democratic nomination, which I think everybody agrees is like a fool's errand, it doesn't matter because it's within his rational self-interest to bolster his public profile by way of running for president. Correct. Which is a mother load of priceless publicity. I, I, I think you'll probably agree that he's going to sell a ton of books. I'm not saying he's just purely motivated by profit motive, but that's like certainly a nice little perk, isn't it? Um, yeah. He's going to blow up on social media and he's just going to become a more prominent figure with more influence and leverage than he would have had if he hadn't run. Yeah, I agree. Right. And also, I mean, I, 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 I'm, you know, personally, you know, friends with Tulsi Gabbard, but it was, you know, she didn't win their Democratic nomination. It was never particularly likely that she was going to, but running for president certainly elevated her profile. Right. I'm not saying it's even corrupt inherently to want to elevate your profile. You could want to do it for good motives. Yeah. But that's the whole, I mean, it's a, it's a fallacy to assume that everybody who runs for president does so to get the job. with the expectation that they're actually going to become president. Correct. And Marianne Williamson is exactly that as well. There you go. I mean, would you have ever heard of Marianne Williamson if not for her running for president? Well, well no. And she's done it, what, three times now? This is her second one. And she sells, she sells a ton of books. Yeah. So I would, so, so. I agree, right? And also, the context in which RFK is running is the last three years of COVID. Now, on COVID, he is right. Okay, basically, if you look into any right of about stuff what? about Fauci, he's about he's correct about the COVID and the vaccine angle, right? 
He's correct. Well, see, I mean, I, he, uh, if you're saying he's correct about COVID, I went through his Facebook and saw in March 2020 he was endorsing lockdowns. I'm not saying I was this bold, principled, early anti-lockdown opponent, but if this guy's being held up as this savant, <laughs> and yet, you know, he was he was quoting in a praiseworthy fashion Barack Obama talking about like lockdowns and he was saying, oh, isn't it? And he has a, he had a post from March of either March or April of 2020 saying, oh, isn't it great that lockdowns have resulted in the decrease of CO2 emissions because fewer people are driving or whatever. I mean, I, I don't see this guy's, like, uh, political foresight that is supposed to compel all the adulation that he gets from these online support circles. Where is it? Because, because that's, because... And if, you're, and, and if it's because, like, he occasionally says something that, like, he's, he, if he's occasionally, quote, giving voice to something that people are so desperate to hear. Well, I mean, maybe your political desperation is the problem. Don't project it onto some dynastic scion of the Kennedy family. I mean, it couldn't be more absurd. Do people know anything about the Kennedy family? I feel like I have to, like, now uh, unearth all this forgotten history because people who are 25 and on the Internet now only know of John F. Kennedy through Robert F. Kennedy Jr. podcast appearances and, like, Joe Rogan. I mean, I like Joe Rogan. But I mean, you gotta look into. Yeah. It's just but, ridiculous. But that, well, it's not ridiculous. That's how short-term history works, right? And that's how long-term history works. You don't educate people about history. You educate them about mythos when it becomes convenient for you to manipulate them through that mythos, right? Whether you're the school education system or whether you are an individual playing your own trumpet, right? That's what's going on. That's always going to go on. You shouldn't be surprised wait, by that. And also, wait, hold on. I'm going to pull out my trumpet and play it. <laughs> but it's a two-way street, right? Because what you're describing <laughs> what you're describing about people wanting to project onto somebody else works the other way, right? And it's more powerful the other way because 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 the exploitation of one's self-positioning so that people can attach to you is the more powerful thing. Because yeah, people do want a a white knight they want to ally to other people they want to believe that there's a cause that somebody else is championing so they don't have to do any of the hard work and they can just turn up and pay five dollars right that's the game of politics right partly okay but why but, but, you know a pet peeve of mine is when some political manipulation is commented on or some falsehood is being propagated and I or somebody else makes a critical comment about it or report something that shows the falsity of it. And then the response is, well, that's just politics. What do you expect? Okay, well, maybe I expect a lot of manipulation and deceit associated with politics, but I thought the whole point of what I'm even doing here is to be a counterweight against that. But you're saying, oh, what do you expect? Just... Be complacent about it and let it proliferate unchallenged. I mean, what is no, the point? In, of course I'm not saying that. What is the point of that retort? I'm not even talking about you in particular, but I hear that retort a lot. Like, oh, you should just everybody. Uh, what do you expect but to be manipulated and condescended to and deceived? Okay, well, maybe that's what everybody expects, but don't you want that to be challenged or or not? Or do you like being manipulated well, look, and deceived? Not... That's that's facts. That, that's the core problem, really. No, I'm not. People dismissing. enjoy and want and desire and crave to be manipulated and deceived, just depending on what their own particular predilections are. That's what they liked about RFK Jr. They like the mythos. They appreciate the deceit. It gives them 
meaning, and it gives them a, a, a faulty yet coherent and infantile worldview through which to view current developments and historical developments, it totally obliterates any ability to rationally comprehend what's going on, but it does give them this coherent framework that it's like a, it's like a baby sucking on a pacifier. The baby yeah, likes the pacifier. What, one, of the, one of the difficulties about talking to you is that you're, you're something of a polemicist, right? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. And what's just happened there is that I've pointed out something that, look, you know, I agree with you about all of this stuff, but you are reacting to my observation about politics is essentially about, about quote unquote, deceiving people on a sliding scale in order to achieve a political outcome. That is the nature of human communication at every level. There is no such thing as truth, right? There are only versions of stories that people want to believe that are convenient to them, right? And acceptable to them at a given time. And, and sometimes that can be a lot, have a lot of truth in it, and sometimes it can have no truth in it. That's the nature of human interaction, right? That is not a dismissal or a resignation to the corruption of politics at all, right? Polemicizing sort of our exchange on that basis doesn't get us anywhere because there's a, a bigger point about populism and it's being played everywhere. If we look at DeSantis, right, from what I can tell, people think that he is building on some kind of difficult position where he's this outlier guy who's done amazing things in COVID and standing up to the system, right? Which is ridiculous and, and untrue. Yeah, well, well, it depends what bit of it you're talking about, right? Any bit of it, really. I mean, people think, what, what? Did, did DeSantis not close the, the schools in Florida? He did. Did he not institute a stay-at-home in, uh, order in Florida? Yeah, he did. I mean, he did all the things that people, like, I guess, assume that he never did. It's another ridiculous, I mean, it's amazing how easily manipulable even extremely recent history is. Well, yeah, but you're proving my point about what people want to believe now, right? But my point is this. Justin DeSantis alone, what he's doing is is calculated populism, which is not a hard thing to do. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is probably doing the same thing, right? They're looking at stats and saying, okay, if 30% of people did not get jabbed, they are hardcore anti-COVID supporters. And if I, I can get them on the side, if I say this, that, and the other, and push this, that, and the other of my mythos and remind them of it, they'll be in the bag. How do I therefore convince the other people? And if you look at DeSantis' stance on Ukraine, he's a, he is a neocon number one draft pick. His military career, which actually makes him complicit with torture. Funnily enough, that's not being mentioned at the moment. Now, my theory on Oh, and he's, he's touting how he's going to prevent all Chinese people from, like, buying land in Florida. Uh, okay, wow, thanks for keeping us safe. Well, you know, there are certain ways you can rationalize that. There's foreign intervention in the <laughs> oh, come market, on. which actually... Well, you can, you, well, you can rationalize you anything. You, you can rationalize uh, the Holocaust. I mean, you can rationalize anything. You don't need to go that far. Well, I mean, I, 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 I maybe I shouldn't have gone that. So you, you can rationalize the invasion of Iraq, okay? You can rationalize anything. Yeah, it's just like what, what the, and he's skillful at doing rationalizations because he's a Harvard-trained lawyer, right? Who was a jag, who was you know a, yeah. a, a jag attorney in Iraq. Yeah, my suspicion. I mean, people, DeSantis is a more hard. I mean, it's actually a brilliant. This is why I, I, I you know, I. Give him, quote, credit in that if we're talking about manipulation of public opinion and drawing on certain populist impulses, he's more skilled at it than most in that 
he and his backers will rightly point out that he is subject to unfair, histrionic, overwrought criticism by the media. But then they'll use that as an excuse to never engage with any substantive questioning at all. So is anybody ever going to be informed that DeSantis is even a more uh, unreconstructed, hardline, pro-Iraq war supporter than even John McCain himself, who recanted on his deathbed in 2018? DeSantis never recanted it and even did so very mildly until 2023 on the eve of declaring his presidential campaign. I mean, that's absurd. Right. And so is his role in Gitmo, right? All right. And and on on Star, okay, which was given to him as a meritorious award whilst he was providing legal top cover for an operational SEAL team inside Iraq. He didn't fight anyone. He just fucking signed papers, right? And, and, well, and no, not only that, he, he was brought, he, he was deployed to Iraq as a lawyer. So he was the yeah, one who was furnishing the legal rationale for U.S. activity in Iraq. Providing legal top cover for a U.S. Navy SEAL team and he won the bronze medal for that, bronze star for that, right? He didn't fight anybody. Now, with DeSantis... Oh, sorry, I thought you said fire in the fight. No, with, 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 my, with him, my working theory is this. His Gitmo background will not come out until somebody uses it as a weapon against him to beat him, which is likely to be Trump, right? Or if it doesn't come out there or he beats it off, it will be held over him if he manages to somehow get into the presidency because it will be a control mechanism. Say, Ron, we as the people who hold the records can actually fucking take you down by leaking this and showing that you are complicit in torture that Obama has admitted to and da 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 and he's highly unsavory. Shut the fuck up and do what we want. Or, or, or basically, this is the uh, roughly the end of your career, or, or at least you'll be dealing with a shitstorm of why you supported torture in Gitmo, right? That's what I think is the thing hanging over his head that's going to be used in some way at some point, and we may not see it be used, right? Because well, here's what I think is what will most likely happen: the New York Times will eventually have a story that delves into this history. Um, it'll be picked up by MSNBC and CNN and maybe even Fox or some, who, who, who knows, whoever. And it'll just be dismissed as the media attacking DeSantis because he's such a threat. And it'll be used in like the class. I mean, this is the Republican playbook going back to Richard Nixon, where Richard Nixon was subject to a lot of overwrought histrionic criticism that was not substantive. But then he points to that overwrought histrionic criticism to then evade any scrutiny at all. Um, And so uh, what DeSantis can do, and Trump even did this to a large extent, although it was different, of a different sort of order with Trump. But DeSantis can just say, oh, you know, the, of course, the liberal New York Times is trying to tear me down. And then that's going to be used as a rallying cry among Republicans, because Republicans hate the media, often for legitimate reasons, but that legitimate disdain can then be leveraged by ambitious Republican politicians to advance their own interests. Yeah, yeah, Any, that's perfectly possible. And, you know, and, and but, but so that's one skeleton in his closet, right, which he is, but he, at the moment, he is pursuing a very easy populist thing which is his COVID stance and also his 
um, you know, his anti-woke agenda. Now, how hard is it to be anti-woke today? It's not hard. Oh, it's so it's so brave to be anti-woke and to be critical of woke college students as a Republican politician. I have never seen talk about the Kennedys profile and courage. That's DeSantis for coming out against wokeism on college campuses. I've never seen such bravery. Right. And, and, and it's not a hard position to take, because when you think about the numbers that you're working with, right, the, the anti-woke, um, and I use the term broadly, too broadly, right, but when you think about the number of people engaged on the other side, it's tiny, particularly when you get into levels of transgenderism and those kind of rights, right? What, what this is really is a version of equal rights that has been so skewed to polarize people right on a divide and conquer basis so standing up to it when you stand up to that what you're actually standing up to is simply the media not people and it, sh it sh society shows that not only is this an ultra minority of people who are on the other side right and they skew towards the younger that means that the majority population don't buy into it anyway. And all you're being manipulated by are column inches devoted to pushing the work agenda. So he is not um, a difficult hero in the sense that he's hit that by being anti-woke, he's taking the anti-populist position. He's just taking the anti-current media fad position, right? In order to actually get votes out of the vast majority of people who naturally reject the insanity of the also, there are splits. In, I mean, this, this idea that anti-wokeism is somehow solely the province of like the anti-elite is another ruse. I mean, there are splits among the elites, if you want to yeah. put it that way, where uh, they. I mean, I remember in the at the height of the George Floyd mania in 2020, I would hear from people in like quintessentially elite positions who just felt like they're hamstrung from saying stuff. It wasn't that they weren't elite. It's that they were, you know, uh, subject to certain pressures that incentivized against saying certain things, which is a problem unto itself. But this idea that, like, he's speaking for some dissident, you know, insurgent movement and in, and in, in giving voice to anti woke beliefs. You know, I, what do you think are the beliefs among the Republican oriented business class? Are they pro woke? They're pro-profit, and if they can oh, make right. money out of the agenda, they will, and they are. They're not. Ken Langone, the, the the founder of Home Depot, who is one of the chief funders of Republicans and has been for several since like 2010. He's not. He's like a quintessential DeSantis type backer. I don't know if he's formally backing DeSantis or not at the moment, but I can just intuit that he probably would be. It's a Republican, quote, establishment financier who I guarantee you is not like a huge fan of gender pronouns, but like, <laughs> okay, having antipathy toward gender pronouns is not some sort of inherently anti-elitist position. There are different factions of elites. So, and DeSantis is aligning himself with a particular faction of the Republican-oriented elite that have, you know, lost patience with some of the woke excesses. Yeah. For good, often for good reason. 
and and he has an over a direct overlap with Trump for specific political reasons, right? Because he has to beat him, right? So he has to absorb and assimilate aspects of his of of each. They have to absorb and assimilate aspects of each other's campaigns in order to have a chance in each other's support base, right? And this is the same as Williamson and RFK. If you compare those two's rhetoric, right, you will find huge overlap. And and with I was just cursorily checking into Williamson. And her last campaign did feature elements of this. And where they overlap is essentially that what they're both doing is they're both calling out the fascist system which we live in. And and Kennedy has used that word, but he's now switched into a more of the corporatism word as he's just got hit the public stage, right? Williamson uses... I mean, Williamson, like, summoned... Williamson's point was that, like, there's some sort of psychic malady in the body politic that she could summon with crystals and that's the fascism. I mean, it wasn't like a very well, it wasn't like a very well developed theory. Depending on when, when you listen to her, she gets more direct than this, but she is still, she, she is still talking about the same thing. They're talking about the same things. They're basically talking about fascism in the Mussolini sense of, of the blending of corporate. You know who first gave her a public profile, right? Oprah. Oh, okay. She was a featured, (laughs) I'm not kidding. She was a featured uh, contributor to the Oprah Book Club. And Oprah is like into all this weird sort of like mysticism, self-empowerment stuff. And Marianne Williamson was right in there in terms of her self-help, quasi-mystical, like largely kind of female audience type thing. And um, I don't know how she marshaled that in some sort of political role, but but she did. And it's an offshoot of Oprah. Okay. So... But but when it comes to the political stuff, right, they overlap there, right? Now, Williamson has admitted effectively to Russell Brand that she knows her role in this is to not win. She can't win. She admitted it, right? And it goes back to why would she do it? And I would say... Yeah, she's just having a bit of a laugh. Well, she's just self-promotion, yeah, right? Now, those two people overlap, but they can... And therefore... This gets into a little bit of your point about and um, what we were talking about before about why people join cults or what these what the service provided by these people is is because the voting some of the voting populace want recognition validation to hear Robert Kennedy Jr. is calling out fascism and therefore I connect to him and that's a relief to me that somebody else recognizes. Martin Finally, Kennedy. someone is calling out fascism. Finally, yeah, yeah. Right, but we lived in, we've lived in it for decades, right? <laughs> but I mean, I mean, please. I mean, I'm just not impressed by someone, quote, calling out fascism at this point, given the ridiculous overuse of that terminology, especially within the past several years, where every Republican hiding behind a bush was a fascist, or like every time a Republican sneezed, it was Nazism. Like, I just think that the, yeah, the, 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 the sale, I know it's not the same thing, but... If that's the political sort of terminology that you're resorting to, I just think it's a failure of imagination. No, I mean, it just doesn't really the, capture the essence of the issue. No, but if you use the Mussolini definition of the blending of state and corporate power, which is the terminology that uh, Kennedy refers to, that is the Mussolini definition of fascism. And that is what we live under in the Western world, right? And the game over decades... I just think that there's 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 plenty of compatibility between corporatism and liberal democracy to the extent that it's not necessary to inflame everyone by invoking the specter of fascism. I remember when Ron Paul... Ron Paul did that in, I want to say, 2008 or 12, and it was novel because it was like, you know, it 
was it focused the mind on the kind of corporate private collusion that he was discussing. But now it doesn't focus the mind. It just kind of creates more noise where, I don't know, when everybody's screaming about fascism, I, we, do we really have to think of Mussolini in 2023 in the United States? Is that like the most apt parallel? No, I don't think it is. And I think bringing up that specter where, you know, we always have to be, you know, fretting about Hitler nonstop. But fascism I, don't, I don't think that actually encourages a rational analysis. But, but I think living, it's the opposite. But wait, but this is the but 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 the point that is partially being was is being implied and and does logically flow in 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 Williamson's and Kennedy's campaign is that if you look at what Mussolini said in describing his view of fascism, which he said should really be called corporatism, he even refers to how you capture and involve unions, and you set and the state acquires means by which to control the wider social uh, society, right, by co-opting entities which look like social outlets but actually become servants of the state. That's but that's what, what that's the, but the United States did that. But the, but the United States did that. The United States basically nationalized its industrial base in World War II to f- fight, quote, fascism. So, I mean... And then it, it are, absorbed don't, a load of Nazis. Okay, I mean, so the, the, the point is it's not like novel or incisive terminology. It but conflates people, all kinds of different people, political um, formations. But when people are so poorly histor- historically educated that they don't even know anything about the Kennedys, then, and you want to try to point out what corporatism it really is, where it's led us to, where we are today in that context, then you can expect people to use the term. And, 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 and I believe that it's fair for somebody like Kennedy to try to use it because it does explain, it does correctly label major ways in which our societies work, right? And that's why it shouldn't be dismissed. It's because because when you get into the mechanisms of what Mussolini was up to, that's how our system works, right? No, I, 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 I do not think that how the American governmental slash corporate system works circa 2023 is meaningfully akin at all to how the Axis powers worked in the 1940s. I just don't think, and even if there are certain parallels that might be drawn, it's sort of tendentious enough that it really obscures more than it illuminates. I mean, there are certain features of the American system that of course do presuppose and necessitate a kind of fusion of corporate and state power. But so does virtually, I mean, so does China. So does Russia. I mean, Wait, do, do we have to, so, I mean, is every, is every government in, the, in existence just a different species of fascism? If so, really. what's the point of this umbrella term? Okay, so now that you've gotten onto those two countries, there's a quick metric you can consider. And you don't have to give me an answer, and I'm not going to be definitively right. It's not the point. It's discussion, right? Ask yourself this question. In the U.S. model, is the government serving the defense industrial military industrial complex, or is it the other way around? In Russia and China, what's the setup there? Now, you can check that by looking at the defense expenditures of the three those three governments, compared to the battlefield outcome they can achieve. 
Why is it that the US, despite the fact that it has nearly 800 military bases around the world and is clearly running an empire, despite that, its military expenditure is greater than the next 11 nations all added up together, right? I don't think that's exactly, I don't, th that, I don't think that's exactly true anymore, but I get the point, another point. It basically is, right? According to Statista in last year, right? Now, how can that be the case when America cannot beat the Taliban or contain something in Iraq or technically, technically battlefield win a war? And how can the stock depletion of across NATO forces be depleted by this one conflict in Europe. Now, if, if the US itself has got an $850 billion on the books military expenditure compared to Russia's at 64 and China at circa two to 300, right? That gets you into a question of where the fuck the money's going, how much is actually public. So is that, does that mean China and Russia are just like lesser and more ineffectual species of fascism? The point is, what no. is the point of using fascism as the lens through which any of this is viewed? Because one aspect of fascism gets it gets you into who serves who. And the argument I'm making is that in the Western world, if you cannot get value for money, whether that's defense expenditure or social expenditure or whatever, and when you start looking into it, you realize that huge amounts of money is creamed off for nothing into opaque profit margins, right? And pockets you don't even know exist. That indicates to you that the state is serving the interests of those companies well ahead, if not totally solely in the interest but, but, of those But companies. Mussolini's, whole, Mussolini's whole point was that... <laughs> I mean, Italian fascism, and to some extent, although it differed, Nazi uh, national socialism in Germany, it was about making the political leadership the person, the, like the personification of the state, in that there is no difference between Mussolini as a personage and the state itself and the civilization associated with the state. So, therefore, the interests of capital would be subordinated to that collective fascism. Um, and so, if it's capital that's running the show in the United States, that's actually not really fascism in the way that it would have been with Mussolini, right? Because... Mussolini subordinated capital to the interests of the state. Whereas in the United States, this theory goes, capital is allowed to reign so supreme that it is actually subordinating the state to its okay. own prerogatives. But if the, if the state, if capital then works out that if you have to give your capital to the state, it serves your interest to then ensure that the state returns it to you somehow in a way that is meaningful to you. And if you can subordinate the state in that way, you've closed the loop on that system. And then you're now into a self-fulfilling prophecy where you know that provided you make the right political donations and you deliver um, the things that the state wants and you satisfy its requirements, right? Whatever Mussolini wants, you get the kickback in the end. 
And as long as you grow that profit margin from the kickback, you're still winning as a capitalist inside that system, which looks like what... Okay, fine. I just don't know why all this has to be reduced to something called fascism. I mean, don't we have more words in our vocabulary to describe things? Well, yeah, but I mean, let's work with what what other people are using, right? Because they're the ones running on a political... After the experience of Trump, where, again, every time a Republican sneezed, it was fascism... I, I, I'm not really interested in sort of catering to that lexical preference. Well, okay, look, that's a personal preference, right? I mean, if you want to call it neo-feudalism or something else, you find a different term and you can explain it in rational discourse, fine, you know, but I'm working with what I've got. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully be going to the BRICS summit in South Africa in August, and I'll survey the attendees to get their preferred okay. terminology. To, to, to and I'll let you know. Oh, yeah, so Gator do. wants to know what terminology Yeah, yeah do. <laughs> so to go back to this point about military expenditure, you've got to ask yourself the question, how can Russia be achieving and holding a line in a, in a major, in the biggest conflict since World War II on the European landmass? I mean, it is all out total war, right? It's conventional total war. Are they holding the line? I mean, it seems like Russia's kind of a shambles. I mean, are they? Hang on. No, I, I know McGregor know. has this. I mean, you say McGregor's been proven right. I mean, I don't really buy that. I, I mean, I don't want to get into another Ritter uh, digression, but I mean, I, I have to say, somebody posted, I think yesterday, this piece that he wrote in January of 2022, where he's saying any air war that Russia launches in Ukraine, it's going to obliterate the Ukraine army in a matter of days. And now, but, you know, that's all, you know. They haven't really launched an air war, air war have they? Well, whatever they launched, so they haven't, struck Ukraine with missiles? Yeah, but wait, I agree that, that, that various parts of, of their analysis... Well, I, 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 got, I got to pull you up this yeah, consortium wait. news okay. because it's amazing. Yeah, but, but, but what they concede is that essentially, while one of the things Ritter was wrong about is early big arrow warfare, right? So, he, so the Russians have been constrained partly because of what they were up against, right, and the nature of the level of defence and the sophistication of the air defence network, which nobody fighting a war in my lifetime has ever been up against the air defence capabilities of the Ukraine army as it was in, in, up until now, right? They're dealing with S-300, book and foreign imported Western systems that are partially, off, partially integrated, although the, the Soviet stuff is integratable, Right. Plus, you've got Western man pads, plus you've got Western um, NASAMs and other things that's never been deployed against the US. The US has never entered a theater where it didn't have air superiority from day one. So so the idea that, 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 the, that the Russians could unleash the kind of air power that we've seen the US use was never going to happen. Right. Um, well, it, it, in hindsight, it couldn't have happened because they have to grind through the air defence, right? But if you look at where they are today, they've ground through it, and now what's happening? Well, now they're, 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 they're unleashing increasing amounts of air power. That's Fab 500 glide bombs. That's all Okay, hold on. Hold on. So this is January 10th, 2022. Headline, What War with Russia Would Look Like by Scott Ritter. Quote, on the ground, the destruction of Ukraine's army is all but guaranteed. Simply put, the Ukrainian army is neither equipped nor trained to engage in large-scale ground combat. Now, if I wrote that in January of 2022, 
with all the defi- defin- uh, the, the definitiveness that is carried in that wording, I'm sorry, but I would seek a different line of work. No, I would, I would, I would cease from making certitude-filled predictions about war developments if I got something so just fundamentally, flatly, provably wrong. I mean, am I crazy? Yeah. I want to know, and and I I still want to know, and this is why I'm going to stay on calling. I specifically want to know from you, Gator. Remember when we were talking about his prediction that by uh, fall the war would be over? I have it marked on my calendar, September 30th. If the war is, if, if Russia hasn't prevailed by that date, what are we to do with Scott Ritter, the, the sage? Okay. You know, the, the, great, the great oracle. Yeah, right. Is that last September or this September? This September. This is right. what, That was okay. his prediction. It's fine. Okay, so that's a live, live prediction, right? It's a live prediction, yeah. Let's just go back. To the article I have it talking, on my calendar. Yeah, the article you're talking about that you just read from is January 2022. Yeah, yeah, it was ahead okay. of the invasion. Before invasion, okay, one of the ways that you can look at just what you read out is this. He's talking about the Ukraine army as it was then, right? And he mentions equipment, okay? After the invasion, what happened? They were heavily over-equipped by huge influxes of overt... But isn't, isn't he supposed to be such an expert that he can incorporate those unknowns into his analysis rather than saying well, the Ukraine he, army will surely be destroyed you tell me from the, the Ukraine did army he... had been destroyed the Ukraine army had been trained for years whoa, 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 at that whoa, whoa, point whoa, whoa, by whoa, the US whoa, 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 whoa. look you tell me from that article did he or did he not in the article predict what would happen yes he did western intervention he, I, I'm, I'm quoting to you what he said on the ground, the destruction of Ukraine's army is all but guaranteed. End quote. Right. As of what it was in January. He didn't say it's all but guaranteed other, except if missile systems are dispatched to Ukraine. Yeah. So he's talking about the Ukraine army as it stood in January 2022, unabridged, unsupported. Right. And but it was already supported at that point. But yeah, it was what it was. Right. It wasn't. But as soon as April, May came around and weapons importation started... Right in in mass, right? Okay, the, the the nature of the Ukraine army changed. It's been through at least three phases of equipment and manpower support, right? That weren't what was what it was in January 2022. So you're not being fair to Ritter because you're applying the whole spectrum of the war time frame and all of these changes. And but hold on, but the, but the, so, in January but not, 2022. because he's saying he he's framing it as a con- conflict between quote Russia and NATO. And it was so he's not to, he's not just talking about a helpless, unsupported Ukraine army. He's yeah, because talking about Ukraine, Ukraine army, because the Ukraine, Ukraine army as a front for for NATO. Yeah, because Ukraine army was built up into January 2022 by NATO to what it was at that point in time, right? And yeah, he's not perfectly right, but my point is that you're applying, you're not taking into account the timeline, the intervention points that have changed the dynamics of the war, right? Because if, and then also... Well, if, but here's... But, but, uh, you should go, wait, go, wait, go, go Google this article. No, Google this article. Just okay, let sorry. me finish a second, right? Yeah. So when you look at the very initial invasion tactic, it was a quick run to pin and show a massive amount of force that did make 
massive inroads into huge parts of the country in days, right? Which shows you that the defensive lines, as they were positioned at that time, couldn't stop that rapid invasion of about 90,000 men. Okay, let me, let me give you another quote from this article. Tell me, tell, me, tell me what to make of this quote, okay? This is from the same article. Google it. If the U.S. tries to build up NATO forces on Russia's western yeah. frontiers in the aftermath of any Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russia will then present Europe with a fait accompli in the form of what would now be known as the, quote, Ukrainian model. In short, Russia will guarantee that the Ukrainian treatment will be applied to the Baltics, Poland, and even Finland, should it be foolish enough to pursue NATO membership. Russia won't wait until the U.S. has had time to accumulate sufficient military power either. Russia will simply destroy the offending party through a combination of air campaign designed to degrade the economic function of the targeted nation and a ground campaign designed to annihilate, annihilate the ability to wage war. Russia does not need to occupy the territory of NATO for any lengthy period, just enough to destroy whatever military power has been accumulated by NATO near its borders. And here's the kicker. Short of employing nuclear weapons, there's nothing NATO can do to prevent this outcome. Militarily, NATO is but a shadow of its former, of its former self. I mean, none of that bears any resemblance to what's happened in the past year and a half. I disagree. Right? Okay. okay so, so basically, within days, you know, by, before March, well, by March, right, Kiev was going to negotiate, right? And it was going to deal with... But it didn't! Wait, wait, it, right. It was going to. It got very close until Boris turned up and said, don't, because we will well, now I think over exactly. back you yeah. and expand it and we will fight, Right. And then the dynamic changed, right? And that's and 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 now you're looking at a different kind of war. Well, maybe right? people shouldn't be so smug and presumptuous as to think that they can see into the future and know that a situation as volatile as a war is going to transpire in exactly the way they envisioned, sitting at their computer. Yeah, but if but 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 at least the difference between the, particularly Balletic, um Ritter and McGregor is they're willing to do what most people won't, which is essentially make, make deeper... Yeah, they're willing to make themselves into buffoons who are constantly no, proven because, wrong about because, stuff because, and then just continue blathering on as though they weren't proven wrong. Because any, any commentator can just preserve their position as a commentator by never making a prediction, right? That's the, the the art of commentary, right? Well, at least or, these or if you're not a well, I mean, say, I, I, I don't, I tend not to make predictions because I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a tarot card reader. That's right. why I don't do it. Not because I don't want to put put anything on the line. Right. Because I think it's you, because I think it's epistemically invalid. Right. But when you're fighting a war, you have to essentially come up with a plan of action, and you think yeah. You I mean, Ritter writes. Ritter writes as though he's a Russian army general putting forth a plan of action. Right. And if you look at what happens in war, which makes sense because he's a declared overt, overt supporter of the Russian state. If you and if you look at what happens in war, Plan A. Obliterates as soon as you input it into plan because you have to then wait and see what the reaction is, right? And then you go into plan B, and then it's plan C. No plan survives first contact as a trilogy, right? And that's and, and you can look at their 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 willingness to to make um, over analysis with with predictions, and that sets them apart even if they get hung by some, by their own petard at certain times, right? I don't denigrate those people because at do. least. At least they were willing to sort of lay out a view, and some of that comes forwards and moves on and is adapted. Okay, so people who people who stage. people who said like people like Jamel Bowie, who was then ridiculously elevated subsequently to the New York Times, when he wrote in September of 2016, 
there's a greater chance that a comet will strike the earth and that Donald Trump will be elected president. Should he be credited because he was willing to lay it out on the line and make a humiliatingly false prediction? Like, is that somehow, you know, admirable behavior? I mean, it's, it's, it's this sort of like cost-free pundit speculation that I don't think actually is to the credit of the people who engage in the speculation, especially if they act like nothing went wrong once they're proven wrong. But, but, but I don't think Ritter is the person who says he just forgets about what he said because he's admitted um, from, uh, that he was wrong about X, Y, and Z, and then he goes back and he says, in, in, in my wash-up, my, my, the, one of the reasons I was wrong is because these events changed things and the dynamics changed, and now we have okay, to... Okay, well, the final test, the, the, fi- the final test is what I marked on the calendar, April, uh, uh, September 30th, and if, if Russia has not declared victory as Ritter prophesied, then I want to know how many times does you, do you have to be wrong until it accumulates into some sort of totalizing wrongness? Yeah, because... Is, there, is, is, is it just never? No, I agree. I, th- I think that's a fair position to take, right? However, you have to also ask the question of the other side, which is... How, I'll what, ask the same question of the other side as well. Well, what are the dynamics of escalation that can be employed that Scott, Scott Britter's analysis predicted or took into account and if something happens that his analysis missed then yeah of course you can't expect his analysis to be to be accurate or or or, or, or come come true if you went holy shit the the nato just did something that we never thought they would do okay right? well i just want to i, I want to draw a line in the sand as of today is if his fall 2023 prediction is shown to be just totally wrong does that reach the level of totalizing wrongness that somehow that that will finally cast some sort of definitive aspersion on his analysis writ large? Or does he get another six months or year or two years or 10 years to continue being chronically wrong? Like, at what point can a judgment be, be made? But you're OK. Uh, right. I'll, 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 I'll go back and I'll look. Uh, into the stuff that we're talking about now, and I'll come up with a more definitive answer for the next time you're okay, on. Okay, good. Because right? there's no point talking about stuff that, that, that I, unless I have command of the information, right? And Because I, I don't have any interest other than being objective. I'm looking always to test the commentators, like you are, to work out who's more right more consistently. But what you're not doing in, 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 in that statement is... Um, Taking taking a wider view, which is that, you know, you, you want to be def- saying Scott Ritter's definitively wrong, right? What you really have to do is you have to say, you know, no one's going to be right. So what you're looking for is somebody who might be, say, consistently 50, 60, 70 percent right over a workable time frame. And they, their, their commentary or their predictions um, roughly work like that. If you work in finance, right, that's exactly what happens in finance. No one's right. The only people who are right are the ones who make money, right? Okay. And they don't make money all the time. Well, that, would be an ama- that would be an amazing sort of framework to apply to, like, war forecasting. It's well, it just the same. It's, the, it's the same as just trading stocks. Well, well doesn't that say it all? No. No. Because war is so fucking dynamic... 
and they're essentially exactly. No, if it's no so moves. fucking dynamic, then don't make these overly confident, definitive predictions about things. But that's the job. How, why is that so hard to understand? But that's the job of people in the military. They come up with Plan A. Is Scott say, is Scott Ritter in the Russian military? Well, he's in. He's ex-military, isn't he? That's that, and he has positioned himself. To is be he commanding military. any battalions that I'm not he, aware of? If so, but, at least that would make more sense. But if he thinks, well, I know like, he's a declared. I know he's a declared passionate supporter of the Russian war effort. But if he thinks like military people, you can expect. So he's a pro-war activist, which is, you know I can't really relate to. But I can understand when you're a pro-war activist, you end up getting an egg on your face pretty often. But he, if he thinks like a military guy, right, and, and therefore has a predilection or a predisposition to to be be relative to be willing to make. Semi-definitive or definitive predictions, right? Based on an analysis at a given moment in time, within the purview of what he would logically or rationally or reasonably predict, right? And he's willing to do that. So be it, right? And at least that gives you something to assess him by, right? And that's okay. the way I take it. I, 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 I assess it. I since I assess his pro-war activism through a similar heuristic that I assess the pro-war predictions of Dick Cheney when he said that the U.S. is going to be greeted as liberators in Iraq. I mean, why should I assess it any differently? All right, Gator, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go. I appreciate the uh, no worries. dialogue as usual. All right, everybody. Uh, like I said, when I started off, Colin has been acquired by Rumble. I'm not 100% sure what that portends for the future here, but I'm going to continue in some fashion, so just uh, stay tuned. All right, everybody. Take care.